In the White House, President Eisenhower signs the proclamation that makes Alaska's entry into the Union official, nearly 92 years after Lincoln's Secretary of State bought the territory from the Russian Tsar for $7 million. The Alaska Wild Project podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Barney Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand-selected gear since 1963. The exclusive home of Frontier Gear, built for the rugged Alaskan terrain. Your one-stop shop for all your outdoor needs. Visit Barney's today at 906 West Northern Lights. Tailored Restoration 24-Hour Emergency Home Services, helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Hit them up at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products, providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. TheTreehouseAK.com, located at 341 Boniface Parkway, Alaska's own and grown cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bud tender what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off. The Treehouse, where the culture lives. AKO Farms, located in Sitka, Alaska, built from the ground up with concentrates as their single motivation, with exclusive products such as their sugar wax, full-spectrum diamond sauce cards, and more. Ask your local bud tender about AKO. Marijuana has intoxicating effects that may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under the influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For the use of only by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children, and marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. The Bait Shack, located on Ship Creek upstream of the bridge. Can't miss the bright red shack. They're the go-to fishing gear rental and guide service on Ship Creek. Tight lines and fish on. Come hook into the action with them. Hit them up at thebaitshackak.com. Snow Pro AK, your snow and ice management company specializing in business and residential properties. They know what it takes to keep your property presentable and safe. Give them a call for a free estimate at 280-7098 or visit lawnproak.com. Double Shovel Cider Company, located off of Arctic and 58th, handcrafted Alaskan-made colonial ciders. They also have a tap room downtown on the corner of 5th and E. Stop by today and taste an award-winning cider. The Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. BHA is the voice of our Alaskan public lands, waters, and wildlife. Their goal is to uphold our hunting and fishing legacy while keeping our public lands wild. Stand up today and join BHA at backcountryhunters.org. Oh, is that right? Uh, you put those on. We're on. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Put yeah. Yeah. We yeah. can just we can just keep we can keep going there. Sure, yeah. You just move that arm closer to you. You don't got to lean go. in. Anyways, uh, the second year we actually had a team that said, "Okay, yeah, we want to win it." Now you know. Now we know what it is. Mm-hmm. We go to regionals. We get out of regionals, mm. and then uh, we end up. What do we? <laughs> we go. We go to nationals. Nationals are in Vermont, and. Uh, we walk, so you play three games, your first, you're in the round robin. Yep. And there's, anyway, so we walk through, won all three games. So we're number one seed going in to the, to the playoffs. And we play against a team from Chicago, and 
everything that could go wrong went wrong. We had we missed two breakaways. Missed. I mean, we didn't even hit the net oh. with shots. <laughs> just whiffed it. Everything. Everything. You know, shot it wide. You know, yeah. every, everything just went wrong. Couldn't make a pass. Couldn't. And it actually was a zero zero game going into overtime, and they ended up. They scored. A puck bounced up, hit our goalie. Bounced up, and it's rolling over here. And a kid standing right there bunts it. Actually, hits it with their shaft and bunts it in. Oh. <laughs> we lost that, and so then the next year, now we're sixteens, and they go and. Uh, we lose the first game. We tie the second game, and well, we uh, yeah, we tie the second game, and so we have to win the third game. Right, otherwise get, we're done. To get points, yeah. And, and we're playing against the supposed number five team in the country at the time from Wisconsin, and we play and we wax them, and mm. it was like, oh, okay. So we're one, one and one, and we go, we limp in as the number four seed in our mm-hmm. division. Play against the team that um, we had to, you know, obviously we beat we beat them. Played the second game against a team from New York that we had played in good games and stuff. Beat them, so now we roll into the championship against a team from Vermont that hadn't been scored on in five games. Oh, and, oh, man. and we scored like five minutes into the game, and the Ooh. wheels came off the bus on them, and they just fell apart. And I texted my dad, I said... <laughs> We're winning. And, yeah, they, they want, just it broke, broke three, their backs, basically. Yeah, they it just it, we didn't blow them out, but it was three one sure, game. Sure, I should say we the kids. Yeah, um, the kids did it all, and uh, but that ride was so incredible. And yeah, yeah I'm, you know my daughters, I'm you know living through that, but just watching the progression and watching those kids develop was uh, one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had with hockey. You know, it was. Probably, you know, I had some great moments in hockey, but that watching that team and that group that stayed together and watching them have success was, and feeling what it took, you know, you actually, sometimes you got to lose to know what it takes to win. Absolutely. And um, it was just, it was really impressive. It was cool. Yeah, it makes it taste sweeter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's cool, too, because you had some good experience in your playing days. Yeah, yeah, let me let me. Yeah. one of the original University of Alaska anchors, 1990-91-92 Anchorage Aces, not to be confused with Alaska, Alaska Aces. Aces, different yep. team, right? Yep, yep, lots of pims. <laughs> I'm seeing here on Hockey DB. Looks like uh, well, Hockey DB is not exactly super accurate. There's a couple of mistakes in there. Um, there's so give or take a couple of minutes. There, one of my biggest regrets in hockey was uh, playing for Dubuque Fighting Saints my second year. I had uh, we played 48 games. I think it was 48 games, and in the regular season, I had 99 points, so I was one point shy of 100. But I had 198 penalty minutes. I just <laughs> think if I would have stayed out of the box for a few minutes, yeah, I man, have, you Hockey DB must have started later because they don't show when you look it up. They show that you played there, but they don't have no stats for yeah. that for that time. It doesn't start till '87 when you're at Northern Michigan. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and hockey DB wasn't really around. The internet wasn't around. Yeah, that's no. all it was. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. no way. <laughs> <laughs> no, they couldn't no, find the, the paper stats that they were taking. I was going to say then. those were all on paper. <laughs> yeah. I actually do have the the newspaper thing. It's pretty cool. The people I lived with kept the scrapbook. It was pretty cool, actually. Oh, that's funny. That's, that's funny. awesome. A hockey background. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, um, hockey, hockey brought me here. If it wasn't for hockey, I wouldn't be here in Alaska. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago oh. playing hockey, and actually, 
I was on the way to go out east. I was playing it. Are we recording? I should yeah, we are recording. Yep. Okay, careful of some of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I was at, it, I was there's at, no censors, so was, you just let it rip. Prep school in Lake Placid, New York, and I got caught in a certain area of the dorms that I wasn't supposed to be in, and um, <laughs> was ac- asked to kindly leave. And so I found myself playing in Dubuque, Iowa, mm. and um, ended up going up to Northern Michigan. Played there, and my first year, and I'd say it was a two-way street. You know, the head coach was kind of a hard ass, and um, and I I didn't really do things that got me into his good graces right off the hop. And um, so I played about half the games. I thought I should have been playing more, but I played about half. And I go, I'm done with this. I'm going to transfer. And so I was either going to go to Wisconsin, where my best friend, who's Donnie Granado, who's the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres now, but Donnie was playing there. And he said, yeah, come play here with us. Or come up to Alaska, because back in Dubuque, half the guys on the team were from Chicago and half the guys were from Alaska. Because that's oh, how they oh, used okay. to do it. Used to have territories. Oh, and so you know, I had you know guys like Derek Donald and George Thiel and Gary Dixon and Darren Seminock were all up here now. They're up in Alaska and they're playing at UAA. And they said, "Hey, we got a really good thing going on up here." And Mark Ostapina was the assistant coach um, up here. He was the head coach of Dubuque when that first year I played in Dubuque. So I had that connection. And what kind of was really the kicker was that. When you transferred back then, it's not like now, but when you transferred from Division One school to Division One school, you had to sit out a whole year. Right. right. Mm. Yeah, it was like a penalty kind of. Right. Mm-hmm. To keep guys from jumping from school yep, to right. school, yep. right? Now they encourage it. Yeah, so now the, they port, got, the portal, they got the portal. changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Some, where was that? <laughs> but um, Yeah. Anyways, uh, so what really kicked it for me was that um, at that time, the Alaska Gold Kings were up in Fairbanks, and John Rosie was a guy who owned that team, and they were playing senior amateur hockey, which was kind of the prelude to the Aces. Mm-hmm. But it was really competitive hockey, actually. It was really good. I bet. And so they, John said that he would bring me up there every weekend, and I could play games. So I would take that edge off, take the edge off of having to sit out for a whole year, and. Uh, UAA got that okay through the NCAA that they could do that, and so that kind of really said, "Okay, I'm yeah. gonna come up here and it sit kept out." Kept you fresh, huh? Kept me, kept yeah, kept me playing, and so came up here, played, uh, you know, sat out the one year, but played for the for the Gold Kings, and then, you know, I got up here, and about I'd say three, four weeks after I got up here, I remember I was driving on Minnesota Road. I didn't know what it was called. I was on Minnesota Road. I was back looking at the mountains and snow had just kind of started coming up on it. I was looking, I was like, God, this is such a beautiful place. And I called up my mom and I said, I don't think I'm ever coming home. And I, I hadn't fished or hunted <laughs> yeah. or done any of that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Derek Donald took, took me on my very first fishing trip and um, took me fishing on the Kenai with Bob Peters, a guy up here, a local guy. And we ended up uh, catching some silvers. I was like, oh, this is great. And But I just said, mom i don't think i'm coming home she's like what are you talking about and it's not because of great fishing or anything i just felt free i felt really wide open i was like god this is going to be unbelievable opportunities and i didn't know what those opportunities would be but mm-hmm. i had no idea i'd be owning fishing lodges but yeah. <laughs> in bristol bay but it sucked you in man it it, it hooked me hard yeah, yeah. it's funny you mentioned bob we play with his sons now bob peters yeah, yeah. scott he, and joe and those boys oh, we're talking oh, yeah. about bob 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, electrician. Electrician. Bob. Maybe you, Bob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. He, yeah. he used to That's have. That's like a, I know the name. That's, he used to have a, a guide service on the Kenai River. Yeah. And right. so Derek Donald knew him somehow. And Derek uh, said, hey, let's go fishing with Bob Peter. That was the very first year I got up because it was August, right? So mm. we went down there and caught fish. The next year, um, you know, the Cusacks were big in hockey at that time, Doc Cusack and, and uh, Mike and Casey and everybody. And so, but Doc had a place in King Salmon and they took us on a float trip. You know, they were generous enough and took Steve McSwain and, you know, Cord Cernich and Mikey Cusack and all of us and Derek. And we went on a float trip and that was the first time I ever had been on remote Alaska. Yeah. Was, yeah you got a treat. You know, yeah. Yeah. I got spoiled real quick. What river did you float? <laughs> King Salmon River. All right. Yep. Down out of Mother Goose Lake. Yeah. And then uh, Corey Wright, another local superstar, old old school hockey player who I yeah. still skate with on Wednesday nights. He uh, <clears throat> he took me on my first rainbow trout fishing trip down on the Kenai. And we hiked in from Bing's Landing. I guess oh, we yeah. hiked down and towards Skelac Lake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hiked in there. Wow. It's a he, long hike. Yeah. Well, he he uh, he he said, "I got I got the secret sauce." And like, okay, what are you? Doing? Well, he pulls out shrimp. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. He's teaching me how to pirate fish. He's corrupting me right off the hop. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a secret for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was my introduction. Oh, that's funny. That's great. Uh, welcome to Alaska Wild Project, episode one hundred and sixteen. Today we have Brian Kraft from the Alaska Sportsman's Lodge and also Alaska Hockey. Thanks for coming in, Brian. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a blast already. Yeah, yeah really good start, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's easy to just start flowing with the stories, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I've been up here 30 whatever years now and yeah. uh, the stories, whether it be hockey or fishing or just friends and the people yeah. I've met up here, it's just amazing. So I just it's yeah. easy to sit here and talk over beers and <laughs> just have the stories go. Yeah. When yeah, you when you flow. played at UAA, did you feel like to me personally like that's when I really started watching hockey, and I was probably a young teen, probably 14, 12 back then, and we'd go to the UAA games. I remember going to watch you play and Derek Donald and all the other guys. It feels like that was the pinnacle at the time for UAA hockey. I mean, I see now it's coming back, and Shazby's doing a great job. We, we've had Shazby on the show, um, and now that they're going to hopefully build that new arena for them oh, and yeah. expand that thing, it's going to hopefully get better. But in my mind, do you agree with this, that that, that was yeah. like the time? I remember the Sullivan mm -hmm. was sold out. I remember these big schools would come by, and we're sneaking to get in there because it's sold out, yep. and there's cheerleaders. And I mean, do you agree with that, that that was probably the best that UA – but yeah, it, it timing was right. I mean, time was right. You know, you had before us was the Macanenies and Mollies and Knucklebees and Sorensons that had really kind of started putting the team on the map and yeah, playing the as groundwork a, independent. And then, mm -hmm. you know, our the culmination of our group. You know, you got guys like Dean Larson, Derek Donald, Rob Kahn, Jeff Batters, uh, Paul Crake. I mean, mm. th those guys were all phenomenal hockey players that back then you know there was no internet or anything and so there could be kids that were missed right if a mm. scout didn't physically see them mm. they weren't getting the attention and so some of these guys those guys slid under the radar and mark ostapina at the time was phenomenal recruiter and he was assistant coach at uaa with you know brush christensen was the head coach but mark was a phenomenal recruiter he was very smooth very polished we could talk to parents and you know feel comfortable and he actually really cared he's passionate about the game but he 
you know, help build a group of guys that all had a chip on their shoulder. I mean, we mm. were all, we were all passed up by other schools. Mm. You know, my situation didn't work out at Northern Michigan. Um, others had been passed up by the Wisconsin's and the Minnesotas of the world. And this was it. And this, this was the last shot you had. And if you wanted to play at the division one college level, this, this was it. And so we went into every game with that chip and we were yep. like, Ohio state, who, who, who cares? You know, Michigan, yeah. Minnesota, whatever. We're going to sweep you. Yeah. Every and time we would, we, yeah. And, it just kind of really blended together. And, you know, one of the things that I, I look back on, you know, the year that we went in and we swept Boston College, you know, that team, we, uh, that was in the NCAA quarterfinals. And then we went into, or uh, uh, I don't know if it was quarterfinals, but anyway, it was the first round. Yeah, and then quarterfinals were in, in Northern Michigan. And we limped into Northern Michigan. I don't know if a lot of people read or know about this or anything, but so we walked into Northern Michigan. Derek Donald got hurt on the last shift of the game by Bill Garrett and got cross-checked behind the net in mm. at Boston College as we were sweeping them. They had never been swept in in Boston in, in at home at home. Oh shit! In that arena, it was a newer newer arena, like four or five years old. But then, anyways, so Derek gets crushed behind the net he separates the shoulder mm. dean larson all-time leading scorer in the university was out doug spooner who's you know 20 goal scorer every game was out and lauren knopf one of our stud defensemen was out so we go limping into northern michigan we lose i don't know it was seven five and five three or something like that northern goes on and wins a national championship so oh. we're i look back on that and so then of course dave shyak came here as a head coach shyak yeah. was on that team that was my senior he was on the michigan team he was on the northern oh, michigan yeah. team oh, and wow. so that was the senior year that would have been my senior year yep. the year that they won it and um dave yeah you know and i helped coach for a little bit you know as volunteer around and help dave be a little liaison help with the players and stuff like that well i go into dave's office he's got a picture of that national championship winning <laughs> behind the, i always just throw darts at him and go you know you guys are freaking lucky we were banged up because yeah we had larson and donald oh, and yeah, I mean, yeah. it would have been way different i think so but to answer your question sorry about the long answer i just oh. i think it was uh, the height of the the program i think uh, some things really uh happened that took away from it um after that you know we got in the wcha and you know i think there was some questionable decisions made with the direction of the program as far as coaching goes and then the university's got to take some responsibility as well you can't just throw the patch on the jersey and wcha and call it good and not properly fund it and we talk about this rink mm -hmm. opportunity the university has got to make a, a, a decision you know i was just I mentioned my daughter went to school in, in Montana State in Bozeman. And I guarantee you, Montana State didn't build a f whatever it is, $50, $60 million football stadium thinking they were going to get a cash return on it and break even. They built it because they knew it was going to give the school an identity mm -hmm. and they were going to play Division II football. We need a rink here. We need an arena for this hockey program, not because it's going to exactly pencil out on the games that the revenue that's going to bring in, but the long-term gain that's going to that the university is going to realize because now a kid's going to see it. We're going to play an NCAA tournament at some time. It gives Shazby the opportunity, the tools to recruit that kid that is thinking about going to Michigan Tech or UAA, mm -hmm. and he sees a beautiful arena on campus. That will push a kid over. And now instead of losing a game 3-2, we might win a game 4-3 because you got a hopping crowd of 3,000 people, and they're screaming yeah. and getting the energy going. And so 
the university has got to make that commitment. Are we in or are we out? If we're in the Division yeah. One hockey program game, fund it properly, get the arena, and and it's almost like a build it and they will come type of mentality yeah. that the university's got to have. So, yeah. Isn't yeah. that what they pretty much did with the basketball arena? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 mean yeah. I know it's a sense of stuff. I'm just saying, like, so let's get another one of those. Yeah. And we have another venue that we can use. And then there we go. Like we've got we're go time. Well, not only does it benefit the the students that are there, the potential students that will go there, but also the entire community oh, and the youth that are coming up right now, like our kids. Like that was like watching you guys play when I was a child. That got me into hockey. Like my family's from Columbia. We didn't play hockey. You know what I'm saying? And and then, you know, growing up with Scott, you know, you know, his mom's Colombian and that just seeing that showed a kid like me a whole different avenue, a whole different sport that you could play up here. And then just having that arena at UA is just going to basically shine a light and open a door for some of these kids, not only in Anchorage, but all over Alaska. Be like, oh, I could one day go to the big city in Anchorage and go play at, for my hometown. Yeah, absolutely. And the other, Yeah, the other thing that it does too is, you know, every school has got a mascot and got an identity, right? Well, that identity is not because of, and not to disparage the book club, but it's not because of the book club, right? It's not because of the chess club. It's You're because right. of a spectator sport. And so you walk in Madison, Wisconsin, it's Bucky Badger everywhere. And that's mm -hmm. because they have athletic programs that bring national attention to it. Yep. And so you have Bucky Badger everywhere in Madison, everywhere around this community there should be a seawolf stuff yeah this yeah. community should be plastered in seawolf well the way you get that is you get excitement about the program and about the university through a winning uh, winning program yeah Anyways. that's right yeah. i i think not to keep rolling i got that's a little soft spot there but it it's on its way i think in definitely positive, in the right yes. direction in yeah. the positive direction with Shazby Absolutely. and the way the program and and you know he, i feel like we had Shazby on he wouldn't have taken this opportunity if he didn't think there was a chance he could right make yeah. it happen so well, yeah we have a committee you know i'm on the board of, yeah for, with the committee to get this rink built and you know kathy bether has really spearheaded that but mm -hmm. you know it, it's there's serious people involved in it they're looking at this we got a study going on right now an economic study but that's where i kind of go all right well you know that economics probably aren't going to pencil out that you build a Seventy million dollars. Yeah, it's going to take a long time for that, that to you're come back. You're going to get a payback on, but what? Uh, what are the intangibles? You know, right. what, what sure. does it bring to the community? What does it bring to the university? You know, what does it bring to the program? And thanks for your passion. You can like, you can feel it. Feel that, dude. Well, like, that's that. That I mean, that's really from the core, man. That Alaska Airlines Center is a, is a tough one. Yeah. Because then mm -hmm. at at the time, the university wanted that built, and the community there was a bond proposal right. mm -hmm. and Cobb was the AD at the time and he would bring around brochures and, and pamphlets that showed a multi-use facility is the way he would word it and it would have basketball gymnastics and there'd be a hockey player in it he came to the hockey community and begged us for support because it wasn't it didn't look like it was the this bond was going to pass he begged us for support and of course we fell asleep at the wheel I don't know who was watching but Hockey community pushed for it. We got it passed. Rink gets built. And I was like, what do you mean there's not hockey in there? Yeah. When, you know? Yeah. And so that was That's really crazy. kicking so, the And there's people to this day. I was just having a conversation with somebody last week. They're like, wait, there's not a hockey oh, rink man. in there? Like, no. They're like, what? Yeah. I'm like, let's not go there. But no, <laughs> I there's. <laughs> I remember the day that I checked the yes. Like, we thought that it had, was the rink was going in. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's bullshit. It got pulled. It, it was tough. It's a curtain. It'll. It'll. It'll happen. Yeah. 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 I, think, I hope so. Yeah. It also like might happen in a way and what it sounds like that you have 
like uh, a venue where the fan spirit makes more of a an effect on the ice than an er- <laughs> like hundred uh, percent man, and that's a big deal. Like you look at Gonzaga and these schools that it's super hard to play at. That is the stadium we want. Well, yeah. I mean, when when we were playing at Sullivan Arena and we were drawing twelve hundred people, yeah. you know, you know, how can you get they're they're kids that are playing the game, right? And and hockey is a, a emotional, physical game. And if you're jumped up and you're amped up, you might beat that player, the competitor to the puck, or you might knock him off the puck, or just find that extra oomph, that extra bit of energy to right. go. And like I said, now instead of losing eight games three to two over the course of a season. All of a sudden, you win six of those by four to three scores, and all of a yeah. sudden, you're hosting a playoff game. Yeah. Yep. Right? And next thing you know, you sneak in a playoff win, and then that kid that's sitting in Minnesota or Chicago or wherever that's scratching his head going, should I go to Michigan Tech or Northern Michigan or University of Alaska? No, University of Alaska has got a beautiful arena and a beautiful yeah. campus, and I yeah. like the fish and hunt. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's yeah. where I'm going. Totally. And get some good ice time. Right. Yep. Versus right. maybe, you know, yep. playing for the other yep. school. Yeah, it's you know it's an amazing thing we you know Alaska draws people like yourself and these people that future um, entrepreneurs or people that just are passionate about Alaska and outside and so we already have a draw but the more opportunities that we build to bring people that have some sort of skill set and passion about something in life and put them in this scenario Alaska is going to be a blossom right it's going to be better and better and better because. Mm-hmm. On the other side, we lose so many of our people. You know, if they had a good hockey program, we would keep some of it. But then they go down and they meet a woman from the Midwest, and then they yeah. bring their love and energy to that area yeah. instead of home. Yeah, absolutely. Wonder if they they have to have a women's right hockey if they do the men's. No, Is that it's just apply? It, it's uh, gymnastics. It, it's as long as you have the same number of sports. It doesn't oh, have to be okay. the exact same. Oh, okay. Right? So if so you, you have, have five have women's sports, you have to have five men's. Right. Oh, it doesn't have to be but, the same sport. Same right. number of oh. scholarships, that's I think. A, that's the oh. whole. Got it. Yes. But it'd be cool to have a women's hockey. It would be. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah women's I mean, there's so many huge. awesome girls up oh, here. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? They're, you know, girls getting opportunities to go at, well, I was telling you about Allie Green. You know, yeah. if you got yeah. opportunity, go play at St. Cloud State Division One hockey program. Yep. Scholarship to go play right. women's hockey, right? Got yeah. an education out of it. I mean, phenomenal. So, yeah, it'd be awesome to have it up here. Well, one big positive that I witnessed last week um, the tier one tryouts for 14U and 16U for the team Alaska. I think there was 54 girls at the 14U tryout and 34, 35 girls at the 16. Mm. And that was really, really cool to see, man. Yep. I mean, the, the ice was just covered. And when they did their scrimmages and whatnot, I mean, it was, I have a young, you know, my daughter's 14. She's been playing since she was five. Girls hockey has just gotten better and better. And now it's like, for my little short window of time seeing it, it's it's like pinnacle yeah. of um, involvement and, and girls getting into it. So yeah, there's cool. only so many, there's only so many spots on those teams. So now the other organizations the all-stars and north stars and oilers and everybody now gets a really good pool of passionate girls hockey players right. it's yep. getting it's gets it's probably the best it's been in a long long time that's, that's good. good that's you good know, to hear. as far as the pool goes yeah. it's great do you still keep up with hockey nowadays like nhl or you or college stuff yeah yeah you know i do i i 
still skate. I skate once a week. We have a little group that uh, we skate on Wednesday nights, and we kind of laugh at each other. And you know, <laughs> you're trying to do that move. You couldn't do it when you're 22. And I just, <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to. I was just falling awkwardly, <laughs> and trying to make it look graceful. But it's actually kind of competitive. There's some younger kids that play, and you know, keep us old guys. Me and Corey Wright and Dean Trevojevic and and Jimmy Mays kind of keep us in, in line. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I like it. I, I follow it. Um, I follow NHL. You know, I'm a Chicago kid, and so yeah. the last uh, few years haven't been so good for Chicago. But the the run there from oh, 10, 10 to 16 was pretty darn mm, good hell yeah. yeah and uh it was a lot of fun I unfortunately am. you know i'm good friends with matt carl a local kid who grew up and yeah. went to denver university and won a hobie baker and had a phenomenal nhl career with the sad result that he was playing for uh philadelphia when chicago beat philadelphia oh, first yeah. in 2010 <laughs> and then son of a gun he's playing for tampa bay when oh, chicago shit. beats tampa bay oh, oh yeah you don't rub yeah. that in do you no actually I, <laughs> matt's such a grace graceful person and gracious person he's um phenomenal and um it was actually game uh, game six and uh tampa was in chicago and it was June 7th was the game. And our season yeah. opens on June 8th. Stanley Cup. Yep, Stanley Cup. And I text Matt, and I said, hey, can you get tickets to the game tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, come on down. And I'm like, all right, let me think about it. And he goes, hey, I get it. The cup's in the building. Come watch the game. And uh, I talked to my wife, and I said, should we go? We could get on a midnight flight tonight and be in Chicago, 8 a.m., and go to the game. And I said, I think Chicago's going to win and be, you know, I, I grew up sneaking into Chicago Stadium as a kid <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, to watch them win it on home ice. And, you know, my wife and her wisdom, much smarter than me, she goes, you think Chicago's going to win? I said, yeah. And she goes, well, how are you going to feel for Matt after that? I'm like, yeah, you're right. He's, she said, why don't you just come in? My dad was living in Anchorage at that time that summer with us. He says, she says, fly back in, watch the game with your dad, enjoy it with your dad here at the house, and give your tickets to your best friend from growing up in Chicago. And so, oh, cool. you know, so oh, I yeah. called up my buddy and uh, I played hockey with my whole life. I called up him and Donnie Granado, who I mentioned, he's the head coach of Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. We were all best friends. And I called up Kurt and I said, hey, you and your son want to go to the game tomorrow? And he's like, are you kidding me? You got tickets? And I said, yeah. So anyway, so he went and he took pictures. And so I watched it through him. Of course, Hawks won that game. And oh, I yeah. just felt I, I was... Like, oh, that's great for sure. I actually, it was such a bittersweet feeling. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I called up Matt, like, later. Matt came out to the lodge. And actually, Matt had his bachelor party out at our lodge. And um, <laughs> I asked Matty, I said, hey, can, can you get traded to Chicago so I can sign a deal? Tired of rooting against you. Know, I can't root against you. <laughs> so, you know, friends are thicker than, than long-time oh. loyalties of teams. But anyways. But tough for him to go and and go get to the end there and lose twice. I mean, you feel bad. I mean, who's the other guy that just did it? The worm. He just he played for the Canadians, lost, and then he played. Now he played for Tampa and lost last year, and the year before that he played for Dallas and lost or something like that. Kind of got to the end and just couldn't get over. Uh, They call him the worm, man. He's just a little rat out there. Older (laughs) guy. Now he plays for Tampa. Um, he played for Anaheim Ducks for a long time with Scott Corey Slott. Perry. Oh, yeah. Corey Perry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Corey Perry. Yeah. I don't feel for him, though. I know. <laughs> he's a little rat out there. <laughs> he's dirty. But still, dude, yeah. to make it to the finals and yeah. lose three times in yeah. a row has got to be brutal. Yeah. I mean, God. Yeah. No, that's brutal. 
Yeah. yeah he's out now, though. He it's like the old Buffalo Bill days, you know? They made, like, four Super Bowls and lost. Oh, oh yeah. 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 It was it four Super Bowls or four AFC championships? Which one? Four it? Super Bowls. Super Bowls, four yeah. Super Bowls. They like made a movie out of it. the Broncos. <laughs> yeah, <probably>. like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. talk about, like, get over the hump, oh, dude. Oh, man. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> yeah, that that I think that Matt Carl thing was big for all Alaskans because we, you know, we won the cup. Oh, up there, yeah. You know? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. We all root for all the Alaska kids. Well, we got we got a good shot with uh, Swayman here. Oh yeah, I mean, unfortunately, oh, yeah. what happened yeah. this round? They should have put him in earlier. Yeah, I mean, throw him in in that kind of situation, challenging for any athlete. But he he's a phenomenal player. They're, you know, he'll he's a winner. I mean, yeah, they'll especially with that team or wherever he goes, he'll end up giving an opportunity to bring the cup home here someday. Yeah, that's That'd way cool. What a what a bummer for that organization though. Yeah, to, to have yeah. such a winning season and oh, it's the curse. I mean, get hung up. I just saw that Florida game last night. I mean, they're pretty nasty. Yeah, oh, they're big. They're on like yeah. a yeah. game oh, route. Big. I mean, are they were they always were they hyped all season? No, they really barely like scratched that? into. They, had, they, they got barely in. scratched in. Yeah, they they were well, yeah, they were the last one in. Okay, they it were, was that it was them Pittsburgh and Buffalo fighting it out. Oh right, right at the very right end. The end. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just watching them last night and the home game, I was like, yeah. damn, they don't they, look like. They don't look like the the tail end playoff team. Yeah, oh, well, no, they got nothing to lose. Yeah, th- those. That's what it is, right? Yeah, there's no pressure on them. They're not yeah. expected to win, but nope. they also, you know, you have to remember they've been in playoff mode since you know, yeah, oh, yeah. twenty yeah. games, yeah. games yeah. left yeah. in the season, right? Yeah. And so they've been in that mode, and they they're yeah. kicking on all cylinders. Where a team like Boston's like, uh, you know, oh, we got to play a game in the middle of March that doesn't <clears> mean <throat> anything to us. You know, they're mm-hmm. all professional athletes, but still, it's you're not. That yeah, hard, right, right, yeah. sharp, yeah. right. They got, they got hung up. Yeah. yeah, big shout out to the Seattle too, man. They're yeah. just, oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're riding, they're riding. That stadium looks rocking mm-hmm. too. That looks oh, awesome. Yeah, that's and good for them. I mean, they spend a lot of money helping out UAA and saving out hockey, and yeah. and hopefully they can come through with some help on the arena and all that. I mean, good for them because they're same. They're on the same. Like, imagine the cracking Florida final. That's just like <laughs> no one thought that. <laughs> I mean, nobody thought that. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. Not even close. Yeah. It'd be good. Well, so the travel would be a bitch, though, wouldn't it? Oh man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> corner to corner. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, do you see that Chicago got the first draft pick? Yep. What yep. they got Bedard? Yeah. Well, oh. they got the number one spot. Oh, they take Bedard. Of all course. Signs are that they're going to take the seventeen-year-old oh, wonder kid. I knew Chicago. Oh, yeah. They got to give it to Chicago. That's oh, the biggest yeah. market that was there. But how about? I mean, how about that? just poetic justice you know they dismantled the team they mm. kane's gone taze was the last piece of the puzzle and they cut ties with him and then chicago gets the first round pick that could potentially build the dynasty again you know, and that's a long ways out to get there it's, but you know this kid bedard is pretty spectacular and so a lot of people are saying, was there a little bit of a fix in that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you man. know, Chicago. I mean, come on. It wouldn't be the first time something yeah. was fixed, right? <laughs> if it wasn't a fix, it's just, I mean, strategy, dumb luck. Strategy because maybe, too? A player that's great in Chicago is going to be elevated higher than oh, a player yeah. that's really good in Arizona, right. say, or Anaheim. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's a, lot, it's a lottery. Just yeah, like, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so, they, you know, but they're saying maybe they had the little, okay, yeah. now, let's pick this one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, weird well, how that worked out. <laughs> what was nuts is if they would have lost that last game of the season, they would have had the best chance. It was like a 26% chance, and they beat the Penguins, so the Penguins couldn't go in the playoffs, and it dropped them to have the third best chance. Right. It was like so 11%. So they didn't really take it. 
to get the pick. They didn't. They 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 cut. They the Penguins didn't make the playoffs because they yeah. beat them. Right. Right. So right. It let yeah. Florida in. I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. that tight. Yeah. Does, do NHL teams really tank? Like no, an NBA the suck and, for and luck. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I don't. It doesn't seem like it's culturally a thing in hockey. No, no man, you're out there trying your hardest every like, time. Like I don't think there's coaches on the bench that are going out there and telling a guy like not to try hard. Yeah, the GM would have to like bring up like the AHL guys to try them out or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't right, know, you know? right. I don't know about this culture nowadays, but you know, back in the day. It'd be like, oh, you're gonna pay me to do this? Okay, great. You know, mm-hmm. I would have done it for free. You know, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Passion, right. Yeah. What, what do you yeah. think about that actually? Because it's there has been a major shift from you know big tough guy, you know fighting guys to this spa- speed skill game that's going on now. I love it. I needed it 20 years ago. I'm yeah. five foot eight. But yeah, no, the speed game's fantastic. I, I would like to see creativity, and you know, you you. I mean, you know, you just watch some of these younger guys that are coming in that are, you know, Jack Hughes type of guy that are, you know, it's hard to say Patrick Kane. I mean, there's only so many guys. He's, there. There. He's yeah. Patrick like Kane-esque. That, right? But to mm-hmm. see creativity, because the game is so fast now, it's just like, bing, 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 you know, pucks bouncing everywhere. And I've I've gone, I watched a couple of junior games here, and I, I watched some back in, in the USHL here recently, and it's just like, man, these kids don't even have the puck on their stick. I mean, it's like, it's so quick. It's boom, 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 boom. And it's like, okay, we'll almost slow it down a second, get creative with the puck, make some plays and stuff like that. It just, it seems like it, um, the game has been opened up tremendously. I think it's great for the game. I like it. Um, you know, it, there is still the need to have some physicality in it. And I think that's important. And I think you lo- you see that going away in some of the junior levels mm. i just think it's important that that stays with the game it's what helps differentiate the game but i think uh, you know not seeing as much fighting is good I, I think that you have to have a lot of fighting but it's still it's an exciting part of the game you know get, you ask people and if they tell you they won't stand up when a fight happens they're lying to you right yeah. Oh, hell yeah. So well you can see it even when, when there's a big yeah. like a big hit like a big open ice hit which you don't see that often anymore uh-huh. you know where you, the dude just gets stood up at the blue line and just get knocked down but when it does happen mm-hmm. like there's i mean there's i can maybe count only like five in these playoffs this year and it's just like whoa you know yeah. whereas you know, back in the day, it, it was, was like every other shit. That was like right? every yeah. other shit. That was normal. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I think it's, yeah. And, you know, the, hockey is one of the few sports that we regulate ourselves without the referees yeah. drawing the oh, lines, right? right? So there's a lot of stuff that's not even said or, you know, it's just unwritten rule. Like you take out a guy, like we were talking about, you know, Dean Larson or something like that. Well, we had four or five really big guys on our team that would come after him real quick. Mm-hmm. And, you touch that kid again, you know, and there's going to be yeah. hell to pay. Strategy so, to it. Yep. Hence, so. hence the JJ. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. JJ. Hence yeah. the JJ. Well, it's, pr- <coughs> it's pretty refreshing to hear an old school hockey guy like yourself, with all due respect, I say old school. <laughs> but you come from that era um, of, like, gritty, aggressive, hardcore hockey fights, yep. right? Yep. Big hits. Um, it's refreshing to hear you say that because isn't it an overall better product on the ice? Right now, right now, the I think way, it, the way it's I, constructed. I think, yeah, I think it's entertaining, very entertaining. I think the goaltending 
pads should be smaller. They've gotten so big. These goaltenders are, you know, 6'2", 6'4". They look like refrigerators, man. (laughs) (laughs) Having more scoring is better. You know, the NHL has tried with the overtime rule of, you know, Mm -hmm. three-on-three hockey, which opens it up. But I think just normal in the 60-minute game, it'd be really nice to see some you know, six, four, seven, five games. It's scoring is entertaining for the, for the yeah. cup. So, you know, it's a little bit tough when you're watching a bunch of two, one, three, two games, but yeah, you know, anyways, it is what it is. But I think I, I do like the product now. I think it's very entertaining mm-hmm. that, you know, hockey has always struggled with um, compared to football and not to the spirit football, but I've gone and watched a live football game at a stadium and I'm kind of, it's kind of boring, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I almost yeah. rather watch it on the big screen at the bar. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. having a beer and everybody's watching and, and what it is is football has, um, you know, four five, six seconds of play of action happening. And then there's a 30, 45 minute break and there's instant replay on everything. They show you every angle of it and they, and you can sit with, you know, your girlfriend or a buddy that's never watched football in their lives and show them it and they can watch it and they go, oh yeah, that's, I get it. And it's kind of entertaining. And so compared to hockey, which moves so fast, yep. you can't see the puck on TV. You know, it's hard to see it. You don't know what's going on when you're watching it on TV. And so compared to live Hockey live is unbelievably exciting. Oh, so right. so electric. It's so energetic. Man. I mean, it's, it's just unreal. It's fast. And so hockey has just always struggled with the TV aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and, you know, I'm talking about the product and the speed of the game now. It just, it is really cool. Um, and they just, the product, I think, just needs to keep people engaged. And, you know, a fight once in a while, that. Adds excitement to it. You can't yeah. lie about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It does bring it in. So yeah, we all yeah. kind of want to see it. Yeah, Everybody wants to see it. it. Oh, yeah. Everybody do, wants to see it. Gonna do, break for do you watch the cars go around NASCAR and no crashes? Or when there's a crash, you go, oh, everybody, everybody's yeah. eyes are on it. Yeah, yeah that's the right. highlight on ESPN is the crash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what everyone wants to see. Yeah, that's it's right, not man. lap 275. It's when the crash happened, right? Uh, yeah. True, man. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and uh, get into some uh, more story time. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. Barney Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand selected gear since 1963. Barney specializes in supplying hunters with the absolute best Alaskan proven gear on the market for some of nature's most rugged and demanding terrain. Whether you're headed to the remote volcanic islands of the Alaska Peninsula in search of a brown bear, or the shale-infested glacial valleys of the Brooks Range for dull sheep, it is critical you choose the right gear for your dream hunt. Don't miss Barney's exclusive brand, Frontier Gear of Alaska, tested from the high mountains of Tajikistan to the extreme conditions of Alaska. These products were designed for high performance and durability. Frontier Gear was derived from decades of experience hunting big game in Alaska. Paired with other top brands, it provides you the absolute best gear selection anywhere in the world. Stop in at Barney Sports Chalet in Anchorage on Northern Lights or check out their custom website and reference tool at barneysports.com. The Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. BHA is the voice of our Alaska public lands, waters, and wildlife. 
from national level policy work to engagement with boots on the ground projects from Kotzebue to Ketchikan. BHA performs public land cleanups, hunting and fishing clinics, and community education to help take your game to the next level. BHA's community-minded goal is to uphold our hunting and fishing legacy while keeping wild lands wild and fostering the next generation of sportsmen and women for years to come. Make sure to follow BHA Alaska for upcoming events, local brewery pint nights, and more. Stand up for Alaska public lands and waters by supporting the Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Join us today at backcountryhunters.org. The Treehouse AK, your one-stop dispensary located at 341 Boniface Parkway. Be sure to ask the bud tender about their deal of the day because honestly, there's always something good on deck. And guys, listen, this is where the culture lives. At the Treehouse, their dedication to servicing consumers has been developed through a lifetime of involvement in the cannabis culture. They're committed to providing the highest quality products at whatever value your budget affords, while always maintaining the deep-rooted principles that have carried them this far. Their focus is on relationships over transactions, and you can always depend on them to treat you with the respect you deserve. Hit them up at thetreehouseak.com, and remember, you must be 21 years of age to enter their store. Yeah, is that is that canyon pretty sketchy? Um, like class, like it's a big, it's really narrow. It's mm-hmm. a big drop, oh. and then it's kind of has a pool at the end of it. But it's um, you, you either, I've I've run it myself. Like uh-huh. you take everything off the raft, and you oh. can just, it's real. It's real short. Okay, and so run all your gear up on run shore. Your gear up on shore. Have, have two people run it across, mm-hmm. and then you just go with a single raft and kind of or single oar and steer your way through it. Okay. Um, I've also just lined it as well. You can actually walk right along the, the cut cut out and so line I, it. I'm not super familiar with rafting and maybe for our listeners lining it. So you're basically holding the raft while you walk it down the river. Yeah, you got it attached okay. to a, tethered to a line. Yeah, and you're just letting the raft go through it. Okay, and, and holding on to and it. Holding on to it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Just don't let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've got that story too. <laughs> 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 yeah, all coming back. And you just <laughs> jump right back in the water and swim after it. Uh, yeah, I had. Uh, I was doing <laughs> guided float trip when I first got going. I had started that company called Craft Adventures, and uh, we're on a river, and it had been raining, of course, for three straight days. And you know, you're putting your tent up in the rain. You're taking your tent down in the rain. You're cooking in the rain. You're just soaking wet. Oh, and this, yeah. is, this is before Gore-Tex. This is neoprene. Yeah, right? oh, right? yeah. Before good rain yeah, gear. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And tents and yeah. tarps and. <laughs> and I got this, these two people, um, they're actually from Chicago and we're I'm up river and we're fishing with them and we're going and the guy just nonchalantly goes, Hey, there goes the raft. And I look <laughs> and the raft had somehow the wind had gotten it and it's going down river and like this is before sat phones and you're like we yeah. got nothing we're yeah. we're there and mm-hmm. um we're floating a remote river in bristol bay and so i, I take off and i go run and of course I, i'm going i'm touching my tippy toes and those now it's over I'm so, oh. so i go and i get this raft and finally get it and i gotta drag it all the way back up i'm soaking wet you know it's neoprenes and I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. not not good guiding. <laughs> no, you got a hot tub there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes that comes with the uh, nature of the business, right? Yeah, gonna yeah. get yeah. wet from time to time. Sometimes you got to learn. You got to do it and yeah. make a mistake and, and yep. learn. Ah, you know what? I need to make sure the raft's tied off every That's morning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not worth taking the chance, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, we 
we're on, uh, I think, our third week. Uh, we've added some fun new segments to the show. So uh, one of the ones that I like to uh, highlight is Alaska. Did you know some fun facts about Alaska? And since we're on the subject of Bristol Bay, Alaska Sportsman's Lodge, I did a little research. And uh, so did you know about 135 years ago, uh, canneries started in Bristol Bay? Uh, you probably know this, right? Some of that. Some of uh, one of the cool things, and this is a really long report that I read, but one, I'll, I'll shorten it up. Uh, one of the main uh, deterrents from power boating uh, up the river to limit fishing access for commercializing was they used sailboats mm-hmm. to fish for salmon in Bristol Bay. Uh, number one, they're cheap to run, right? No motors. And uh, they used what were called double enders. Do you guys know what a double ender is? I didn't know what a double ender. How about you? Do you know what a double ender is? Yeah, I was saying front and the back of the boat so we can catch fish off each side. Close, close. So double ender is basically the front and the rear of the boat look the same, yep. right? So uh, they use double end sailboats uh, to basically net fish. I'm, I'm assuming kind of like a maybe like a seining, not a seiner, because seiner would be like a, a like a drift gill netter. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they went obsolete many, many years after, but they maintained the use and they fought for the use of using sailboats to keep powerboats from coming up to try and limit the overfishing of uh, Bristol Bay, the Nishgak, um River. So I thought that was a fun yeah, fact that cool. sailboats yeah. were commercial limit salmon the, the fishing boats to mm-hmm. limit, because powerboats had come along. Yeah, maybe they bring that back, they'll bring the kings back. <laughs> very true uh, you can only have a king permit you gotta go with a sailboat <laughs> yeah i just i thought that was interesting i thought man it was a two-man it was usually a two-man crew per boat and i just thought about all the work especially for a guy if you ever got stuck on a sandbar or something oh, man right like a double end sailboat you got your sails up you get stuck on a sandbar wind picks up boom dumps the boat over you mean like one of those you got oh, it. Yeah. That's it. So there it is. The, the Bristol Bay Heritage uh, Land Trust recommissioned a sailboat. And they refurbished it and oh, wow. brought That's it. That's awesome. Brought it over from Homer to commemorate the 125th year of the fishery or whatever. Sweet. It was. Okay. And brought it over from Homer and sailed it down. Lake yeah, and they were about 30 foot boats, I think, and that's yeah. probably somewhere in that range. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, right. The, the old Viking sail, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. So if you don't mind, you have to share that with us. Yeah, so we can We can. Uh, yeah, we'll add that on uh, Instagram and tag you on it and do a did you know with that picture. Yeah, I that love was it. just I last last summer. Yeah. They actually sailed that boat all the way down to Bristol Bay and nice. parked it in Knacknack nice. and King Salmon. And, Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Tim Troll with the Bristol Bay Heritage Land Trust. That's awesome. Um, I I, I want to get back and start on when you first started with the lodge, um, and how you basically acquired the lodge and i heard there's a pretty interesting story um with with that so yeah so i mean how many hours we got we got plenty lots, so. lots of hours all the time all right so let's go with the, the all right you already got the story of uaa you know like i'm here playing hockey for uaa yep and our team my teammate was uh darren seminuck local alaska kid and um darren's dad was the driller on the discovery well in prudhoe bay and oh, wow. Darren's dad had become the um, executive with Doyon Drilling. And 
Mr. Semenuk uh, got me a job my first year working as a roustabout. And, you know, here was a native-owned company. And, you know, I, back then I knew nothing about native corporations or native companies or anything like that. And so here, Doyon Drilling, owned by Doyon Native Limited. And for a non-native Alaskan white kid from Chicago to get this very lucrative job on Doyon was kind of really major to uh, gymnastics by Mr. Semek. Yeah. <laughs> and so... You know, I had to go up there and I had to work really hard, and, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, I did. But anyways, the story, you know, you work two weeks on, two weeks off. Yep. My two weeks off, I started going fishing everywhere. You know, Darren and I and Derek Donald and Dean Larson, we'd all started going fishing. A lot of the guys, though, would leave and go home, right? So they'd go to, you know, Bogey Avis was from Colorado or from uh, California and guys from Minnesota and Canada and stuff. They'd go home for the summer. So my senior year, I, I said, you know what? I want to take all the guys on a float trip on the on the Kenai River, and I just want to put in at, at Kenai Lake, float down and camp out, drink a bunch of beer, f- get float down the rest of the way and get picked up the next day. And um, I'm going, you know, who, can anybody rent us rafts? I'm calling around. No raft rental companies at the time. You know, Mark Cohen's got Alaska Raft now, but that wasn't around. And, yeah. um, you know, the Russ and Ketchum would rent your rafts if you were going to fly with them, but we we're going to, you know, I was like, no, nah, we and we just wanted to drive and do it. Anyways, we never did the float trip. And so I just kind of kept that in the back of my mind. Started the season. And that year at Christmas time, I had an opportunity to go play professionally over in Europe. So I signed my deal, went over to Europe, came back in uh, in April and bought a bunch of rafts and started a raft rental company. And kept them at Mr. Zirkel's place, Gene Zirkel's place, Alaska mm-hmm. Aircraft Sales at Lake Hood there. Kept them there and... Uh, started out with four rafts, and by the second week, we had eight. We just couldn't keep them in. I mean, they would go out on a Sunday. Oh, man. As soon as people, people found out about that. Oh, they'd take them, you know, take them to Gilcana or Lake <laughs> Creek or whatever, yep. and mm-hmm. I'd help them. You know, I'd get maps and help people out, you know, like here, where you'd go. And so then the next progression was, well, hey, I've got friends coming up. Could you, could you guide them? Okay, how hard can that be? Sure, I'll guide them. And so I started floating Alexander, Lake Creek, and the Talshaletna were the three rivers that I'd go. Mm, and mm. Big Sioux drainages. Yep. Mm, and yeah, no. it was a blast. You know, we'd catch great fish, and it was so much fun. And, you know, I, you know, it was awesome. <laughs> and at the time, experience. I was playing, you know, I was playing for the Aces at the time. And that was Roger Graff, Laoani, and, and Brian Young. And they were funding it out of their pocket. And at the time, it was a senior amateur team. And so we were just, we'd play against the Gold Kings. We'd play against Fresno and Whitehorse and stuff like that. And, you know, so we all had to have some other kind of job going on. And so, you know, I was peddling real estate or working at Alaska distributors, you know, being a you know, chorus guy and stuff. But I was doing whatever it took. But um, the following summer, so this would have been summer of 93. Following summer, I had a bunch of float trips that I had booked. And so we, and I needed help. So I had a local guy, Ned Graham. Um, his, Bruce Graham still lives here. That's Bruce's uh, younger brother. So Ned helped me out and we would, went out and we started guiding these float trips and it was awesome. And the company grew really quick. And so, so now it's going to be summer of 94 and I'm out doing all these sports shows and selling all these trips and on May 1st of 1994, there is an article on the front page of Anchorage Daily News, local businessmen busted in drug ring. And I read this article, 
and uh, it's about a guy who's head of the Calais Colombian drug cartel, and he's in charge of distribution of cocaine from the Mississippi West, and the FBI and DEA bust 120 people or so all across the country at the same time, and this guy was living in Anchorage, Alaska, and he was ahead of it, logistics. And it lists his properties that he has, and um, you know it lists a house in Potter's Marsh Trucking Company Lodge on the Quijack River. And so I walk into the U.S. Attorney's office the next day, and the U.S. Attorney was a hockey fan, and I'd met her at the in the in the booster room at UA Games. And oh wow! So I walk in, and I say, "Hey, I want to buy that lodge." And they go, "You can't buy that lodge. <laughs> we just indicted the guy yesterday, and you know we we seized it. We don't own it." And I said, "Well, that's fine, Betsy. You better get somebody in there to." caretake it. You just advertise on the front page of the paper that nobody's going to be in this lodge. Everything's going to grow legs and disappear. If you don't get somebody in there, <laughs> you have a good day. And yeah. I turned around and walked out. And they called me back up and um, and asked if I wanted to do it. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll pay the lease. I'll pay the lease to the native Alati that owns it, and I'll insure it, and I'll inventory everything. But if I make a nickel, I get to keep it. And they said, okay, yeah, no problem. So I ran it that whole summer. We scrambled. I think we put in like 121 guests that summer. You know, there was nobody really booked in when we took it over. And then um, when I say we, I, ha- I enlisted the help of uh, Gary Sampson. And Gary Sampson played on the 84 U.S. Olympic hockey team. And he was up here coaching Colony High. He started Colony High hockey program. And so he's up here coaching. And so I got Gary Sampson. So we call him Sammy. Real creative hockey nicknames. <laughs> and so <laughs> I... Uh, Sammy went out and, you know, because I had all these float trips still booked and I yeah. tried to convert some people into it. Some people still wanted to do the float trips. And so Sammy was, we were learning how to do this lodge business on our own. And I remember one time. You had never been out there yet. Never been out there. Well, I did do some float trips. I had floated okay. the year before. I floated the Cocktooly and floated the Alagnac. Okay. So you had a little bit at least like familiarity with the area. Like, yeah. 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 Okay. Like, but never on the Quijack. I had never been on the Quijack. Okay. And the first time I was on the Quijack, the U.S. Attorney had agreed to let us do the, let me do this, and so I enlisted a guy to come to take us out there, fly us out there, and then there was a booking agent in town, and he was, um, you know, he, he would sell trips and uh, to all the lodges and stuff, and he knew this lodge was called Big Mountain Lodge. He knew Big Mountain Lodge, and so he kind of came out with me, and I remember getting on in the land in the village and. Uh, I asked one of the locals, I said, hey, could you run us over there? And he goes, I'm not going over there. You know, I don't want to, I'm not stepping foot on that thing. You know, oh. last time we were there, I mean, you're talking about the little village of Igiaga at the time at 35 year round residents and oh Blackhawk helicopters had come in there to, on May 1st to <laughs> catch this guy. And, um, <clears throat> anyways, well, he was at the lodge when he got in, he, he got word. The story is he got word. He flew back in and his cub, he had cub that he flew back in while the, DA was coming out after him. Uh, and so, wow. Um, anyways, um, but he flew back in and you know, ended up turning himself in. They, okay. They did, uh, they had convicted him with life without parole, but I, he did, I heard he just got released on that nonviolent criminal oh, right. forgiveness mm-hmm. thing. So, mm-hmm. anyways, um, so we, uh, I, I, first time I get on the Quijac is I, he said, "You the, this guy's name was Dan Salmon. He said, you could take the boat, but I'm not going there. So I'm running this boat <laughs> across the Quijac, and it is gin clear. I mean, unbelievable. And I go across in the village over this place. I'm walking around this lodge. I have no idea. I can't even tell you how to turn on a generator or what. <laughs> yeah. 
And so... What did you get yourself into? <laughs> right. But we, we made it work. We actually had a lot of really good support. You know, the name recognition from the UAA days was huge. And then I was still oh, playing yeah. with the Aces now. And we were starting to get name recognition. And so I'd actually go on road trips. Like, we'd go to Fresno and play games. And I'd do a sports show in Sacramento during the same weekend. So I would drive back and <laughs> forth between them. And, you know, I was wow. hustling up whatever I could do to get clients and... Ran it for the summer of 94, and then I had a whole bunch of people that wanted to rebook, and so I went into the U.S. Hey, I want to buy this thing, and they said, well, get everybody in agreement, meaning the native Alati that owns the, the property. You have to get the the guy that's in prison. You have to get Frank. You got to get his, his blessing because he still technically owns it. We haven't convicted him, and then... Um, and then get us, and we'll agree to it. Well, I'm a handshake guy, so I went and I got everybody's handshake. Everybody agreed to it. Well, Frank's attorney ended up stealing the deal. And so I found out in March of that year, so March of 05, or I mean, um, 95. 95, sorry, <laughs> March of 95, that I had the opportunity to run the lodge for that season, but on October 1st, the attorney was going to be the owner of it. So it was actually kind of a blessing because the lodge was okay, but it wasn't logistically set up right for parking airplanes. And it, it, there was a lot of, sh kind of on a cut bank, but there was a lot of shallowness to it. And um, well, So it was kind of like a distance from the water. A distance from the water up on a bluff. And so oh. you had some logistics and everything. And the lodge itself, it was a main lodge. And then it was, a, it was a bunkhouse that only had two bathrooms at the end. And so I would, at that year that I was out, wintertime out promoting it i'd have you know a couple guys come by the booth and i'd tell them and they're like everything's good checking the boxes yep 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 okay well you know we're bringing our wives tell me about the bathrooms i go mm, well, we're in a bunkhouse there's two bathrooms at the end of the hall we're out and mm. so i kind of was save you know saving all this information and that year that we ran it in uh, 95 I asked every single person that came through, you know, why'd you book it? Why'd you come here? You know, what was it? And I got a lot of feedback for it. And um, so 95 goes away, trying to buy a lodge in 96. And um, we have a client, Gary Sampson and I had a client that had uh, been to Big Mountain Lodge and she'd been there four times and uh, in the two years that we owned it. And so we cut a deal with her. There was a lodge upriver, that, um, an older lodge, and there was an older couple from Fairbanks that owned it. Don Hogan was his name, and they were ready to sell. And so we cut a deal to buy their lodge with this backing from Sandra. Her name was Sandra Ames. So Sandra was the financial person, and she owned a trucking company in Texas and heavy equipment not trucking, but heavy equipment. So like John Deere and Caterpillar tractors. And she sold that and traded that and everything. And so, I mean, you got to understand, she came to Lodge four times in two years, right? And yeah, loving it. Yeah. Right. And so, and the financial commitment of that too. So mm. we're going, all right, well, she's got to be well healed enough. And so we had the deal. She put up the earnest money and it was 50 grand. And uh, we're supposed to have a meeting on July 1st of 1996 in Las Vegas and Gary and I are at the hotel in Las Vegas. We're waiting for her to show up. And that's before these things, you know, these oh, cell yeah. phones, you know. So mm -hmm. we're sitting in the room waiting for the phone to ring. And you know, we call her office and we're like, hey, where, where's Sandra at? And they're like, we, she came in a week ago and we don't know where she's at. She's gone. I'm like, what do you mean she's gone? And like, yeah, she packed up and disappeared. We haven't heard from her. I'm like, what? 
we get a phone call later that afternoon and I can envision that, you know, Southwest Texas, how a deserted road, the gas station that's all by itself and tumbleweed blowing down, the sign <laughs> swinging, and they're at a payphone. And Sandra's daughter says, hey, Brian, um, we're not doing the lodge. We can't do it. Nobody's going to come looking for the money. It's not ours, but you can use it, And um, but we can't do the deal. And I hear Sandra in the background telling her what to say. And I say, hey, can I talk to Sandra? Let me talk to her. And she goes, there is no Sandra. I don't know what you're talking about. Click, hangs up. I'm like, what? So, you know, we meet a lot of interesting people in the lodge business. And um, I uh, had a client that um, was a um, bodyguard to U.S. presidents. And his, mm. his name was um, uh, Dale Wonderlick. And Dale had come and fished with us at Big Mountain Lodge. So I call up Dale, and he's got a private eye company now out of Colorado Springs. And I call him up, and this was, you know, 20 years ago, or, or almost 30 years ago now. But I call up Dale, and I say, hey, Dale, can you find out about this Sandra Ames? And he goes, sure. And give me your information. So I give him the information, and he called me back a couple days later and said, Brian, I've got top-level security clearance with the United States government. If I can't find somebody, I got a guy that can find that person. He can't find her. So she Ooh. doesn't exist. I go, what are you talking about? I, How I mean, the she, hell? And he goes, she's so high up in the witness protection program, there's probably only a couple people in the world that know where she's at. And he goes, it's a really good thing you didn't go into business with her. I'm Whoa. like, holy, holy cow. Holy shit. But now what do I do? I got this deal that I don't have the horsepower, <laughs> the financial horsepower to put together. So now I start scrambling. I'm calling up, I'm calling up Cal Worthington. I'm calling up... <laughs> You know, if you guys are. You know, oh yeah, cow, oh, yeah. Pussy, oh, yeah. Cow, yeah. pussy cow, yeah. pussy cow, yeah. pussy cow, pussy <laughs> cow. I'm calling up, uh, calling up him. I'm calling up other people and trying to get this deal. And I call up this banker that he was at the lodge with these two other guys that were kind of, you know, you could tell that they were pretty well healed and they had just opened up Midway Island to sport fishing. And these guys were military contractors. They were both ex Air Force and they were uh, military contractors. And one of them was a uh, was a. Um, uh, a consultant to the president and he was actually had worked with senator stevens quite a bit and so i call up this banker out of he's out of atlanta georgia and he's got the draw and i call him up and i say hey steve you want to buy a lodge with me in alaska and he goes brian i'm the president of the bank i loan people money i sure don't have a lot of money <laughs> says, call david he'll do the deal and so I call this guy, David Sandlin, and I call him up and I said, hey, David, you want to buy this lodge with me in Alaska? And he doesn't even hesitate. And he goes, sure thing. I go, really? And he goes, yep. He goes, I'll be on the next plane tomorrow morning. And sure enough, flew up from, from Atlanta and he came up and we hopped in my 185 and Cessna 185. We flew out to this lodge that was right at the outlet of Lake Iliamna. And we go to it and it was really run down and kind of, it needed a lot of TLC. And David looks at me and goes, Brian, you sure you want to do this? I mean, and I go, yeah, David, it's 10 acres on the Kujak River. I mean, yeah, let's do it. I just, I'll make it work. Make you it know, work. Yeah. We'll make it nice. And, you know, I was getting to know David at the time. He had been at the lodge for three days, but, you know, I didn't really know David. And um, he goes, all right. And so we sit down and we're talking with Don. And Don was an old curmudgeon and he had pretty grumpy guy and david says okay look i know the deal says you're supposed to close on this on october 31st of 1996 but i've got some financial situations and i got some tax situations i can close on january 2nd so you gotta we gotta move the deal three months and don Hogan goes nope if they change the deal there's no deal so there's no deal 
And I can feel it today. I can feel David slapping me on the back. I'm sitting in a chair. He slaps me on the back and he goes, good, come on, Brian, the place is a dump. Let's go. And he turns around, he walks out and he's sitting in my airplane. And I look at Don, I'm like, that's the deal. That's it. There you go. Yep. You, you want to, and yeah. Don's like, nope, no deal. And I'm like, <laughs> so I get in the airplane. I fly David back. I'm like, I'm begging. I'm like, you sure? He goes, Brian, some things are just meant not to be. And it's yeah. not meant to be. I'm like, okay. Fly him back, put him on the plane. He goes back to Atlanta. I'm like, oh, this is, this, I'm not giving up on this. And so I went and I researched native allotments and I found a native allotment, 160 acres on the Quijac River, four miles downstream, vacant land. And I researched that and I found it and I found out who the owner was and found out where he's living on the east side of Lake Iliamna. I flew my plane to him and I landed and I started knocking on doors and I said, does anybody know where Wasi Wasley is? And, you know, in these small communities, everybody knows. And said, yeah, well, yeah, he's six houses down over here on the left. And <laughs> so I walk and I knock on the door and Wasi spoke, you know, decent English, but mostly you pick. And so I grabbed him and his brother who spoke a little bit better English and um, threw him in the airplane, flew him to the site, walked the site, had the map and says, this yours? And he says, yep. I said, you want to sell it? He says, no. Nope. I said, you want to lease it? He goes, sure. We shook hands. I put him back in the plane, flew back to Anchorage, called up David and said, David, you want to build a lodge with me in Alaska? And he says, Brian, do you know anything about building a lodge in Alaska? I said, David, how hard can it be? And he goes, okay. He goes, I got one condition. He says, we do not cut corners. He says, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. We're going to build it. We're going to have world-class lodge. I said, that's great, David. I said, I got one condition. You are got way more financial horsepower than I have. We have to be 50-50 on this because I have to be able to, you know, I have to have some guidance or, you know, some direction and some ability that if you just run this as a toy and, and we have a cash call, I could, you know, I'm going to be out. And so, yeah. you know, I, I didn't know that I, I wouldn't need that with David because David is honorable and a man of his word and just super, super team oriented. It's always a we. It's not a mm -hmm. never a me. Mm. He doesn't have an ego involved in it. It's always whatever's best for we, for us, and for the for the company. And uh, so we cut the deal and built Alaska Sportsman's Lodge in 1997. And yeah, and we hauled in 450,000 pounds of material. We are Linden Air Cargo's uh, first revenue flight on their herc their c-130 oh, really? that, oh, that jim jansen had brought in and so we flew that into a three thousand foot gravel strip you know you get an aircraft that's hauling forty four thousand pounds of lumber in it and um at a time and landing that thing on a three thousand foot strip i mean it was unbelievably impressive so we did that we had uh six c-130s and seven dc3 loads plus my 185 flying as much stuff as back and forth and pitched a tent with a cup of barbecue uh, pitched two tents. I had one contractor. His name's Lee Nyman. He's still working in Alaska. I'll self say whatever the word is. I'll give him a plug. And uh, uh, Lee Nyman, Hardy, shout out, Hardy. Shout out. Thank you, Lee Nyman, <laughs> Hardy Construction out of the Valley. Makes custom homes. But this, we were his first project that he had branched out on. He was working for somebody else, and Lee was unbelievable. You know, it was a one-man show, and he was out there. He was the only guy that knew anything about construction. I had a bunch of hockey players and me, and you know, there's six <laughs> of us out there full time running material down we had to float it down river in the boat by you know getting it down we'd do that we'd start at six in the morning and we'd finish at midnight every night and we built that lodge we started uh in june and we had clients on august 17th oh and really oh, wow yeah. built built the main lodge and built the four cabins had power had plumbing had 
refrigeration system, everything. So it doesn't look anything now. It's <laughs> a little bit more oh, yeah, polished. Oh, yeah, pretty but, raw. Yeah, it was raw, but, I mean, it was still it was great fishing and everything. So that's kind of how we got into it. And a little twists and turns oh, throughout the whole man. deal. But, yeah, it's been unbelievable <clears throat> ride. And, you know, people like in the village of Igiagig, um, I, I've had an unbelievable relationship with them. And, mm. you know, then now you fast forward into Pebble and all that. And, you know, I, that year that we built it, I was in a really horrible airplane crash. I had an engine situation, but I had a, a crash. And um, fortunately, everybody was okay. You know, I did have uh, Dave Doucette was in the plane, unfortunately. You know, that kind of ended his hockey. uh wasn't playing hockey with the same more. He broke a, broke a ankle on it. But point is, you know, for some reason, you know, I was spared on that on that aircraft incident and I probably shouldn't have been, you know, it was, it was pretty bad, but, um, and then, you know, here comes Pebble and, you know, 19 years ago I had the opportunity to have an education on it and I had the financial wherewithal and capabilities to do research on it and kind of take the bull by the horn and throw the first punch in the battle. And, you know, it's a pretty emotional deal when you sit there and you look at it and you look at what could have been lost and where we could have, what could have been destroyed and never gotten back to where it is. And, you know, I feel just an unbelievably strong connection with the people of Vigiagig. You know, the, those folks that have been there, they've documented for 2000 years, they've been in that location. And it's just, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. And I feel just very fortunate to be where I'm at. And, um, yeah. How, do, how how is the is the pebble mine? I mean, that's it's still a battle, or it's done. I mean, it's uh, they kind of it, said it's done, but it's still lingering. Well, there's always litigation, right? And so yeah. right now there was <clears throat> there was a plan that was put forth, and originally the Corps of Engineers had agreed it. So in any kind of plan, any kind of project that has to um, that has anything to do with waters of the U.S., so any wetlands, any waters of the U.S you have to get this 404 permit from the Army Corps of Engineers. Army Corps of Engineers has that authority under the Clean Water Act in 1972 to be the agency that permits these big projects. EPA has oversight on that. So Army Corps of Engineers gives the permit. EPA can say, yes, you did everything right, and go ahead and go through with it. EPA has vetoed those 404 permits 14 times since 1972. It's only in the most egregious of situations. We asked the EPA to preemptively, before the mine permit had been applied for, preemptively use that authority to veto the project because we said, you know what's going to happen there. We've seen their plans. We've seen everything that they're going to do. You can't move the, the ore body. It is where it is. They have to disrupt the water there. They have to invade it. They're gonna, there's going to be long-term contamination. Use your authority now. Let's put this out of its misery. And the EPA didn't do that. They went on a, you know, long um, journey of public testimony. They had peer review of all the plans and everything. And they came up and they said, yeah, you know, it's going to do irreversible damage to about 90 miles of salmon bearing stream and have adverse effects on so many square miles. And anyways, that decision got litigated and there was a stay where the EPA couldn't use that authority for a period of four years, from 2016 to 2020. And so in 2018, the Army Corps of Engineers gave them the permit. They said, yep, 
you've picked the and the thing that's tough about that is when these permits get applied for they give three different scenarios like one we're going to dump all the tailings in lake iliamna uh two we're going to dump them all in lake clark and three we're going to put them over here and where they really want to put them right and mm. that's their plan but they give you two other alternatives that are really bad so the core goes well yeah this is the least environmentally impacting decision or, or op- option so we'll okay that one even though it's still bad right yeah. that's a small example so anyways um army corps of engineers says yes on the permit and then um actually uh you know word gets out about that Tucker Carlson interviews Johnny Morris from Bass Pro. Johnny Morris says, hey, it's not a right or left issue. It's a outside, outdoors issue, and outdoors bring us together. There's some places we shouldn't, shouldn't you know, do things like this. I was fortunate enough, three weeks later, Tucker interviewed us, and um, we're bringing national attention to it now. And that actually gave the Republicans cover to say, you know what, we, we, we can get in front of this as well. And then a few days later, um, just by pure coincidence, the pebble tapes come out where the, there's a sting operation where the CEO <laughs> and the chairman of the board get caught on video saying how they've got uh, our senators in their pocket and the governor in their pocket mm. and this and that and everything. And Remember those sound bites? Yeah. 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 And so, um, anyways, things kind of aligned, and um, but it was through a huge amount of grassroots efforts you know we first started this out or created the bristol bay alliance in uh, in 2004 and the bristol bay alliance purpose was that the people of bristol bay had the loudest voice in what happens out there with the lands and i created a, a organization that was educational and it wasn't really pro or against you know it had a little slant against but i hired a an environmental scientist his name was scott brennan and i had scott put together PowerPoint presentations and we went out to all the villages and just said, here's what mining is. Here's what it does. Here's what you need to be aware of. Here's what you need to, you know, here's the good things about it. Here's some financial opportunities, but here's what's environmentally, you know, you're going to deal with. And I set up tours. We took uh, field trips to Butte, Montana, to Winnemucca, Nevada, to uh, Salt Lake City to look at these mines because what we found out was we went to all these villages, you know, on the New Shigak River, so Equa, Kaliganek, New Stuyahuk, and we'd go to the ones around the lake, Iliamna, Pedro Bay, Port Allsworth, um, you know, Dalton, and we'd go into there, and everybody, the, the auditoriums would be packed for these presentations. First question I would ask when I start them out is, I'd say, hey, has anybody seen a mine? Has anybody seen a large open pit mine? And not one person in not one person ever that we had gone to all those villages said yes they'd seen one i said we got to get people out there we got to see i want to see them yeah i want to see the size and scope of these things and talk to people that have experienced them you know what what happened in in butte montana you know what was it and Mm. boom and bust and how you know how did and anyways so we did that we kept it local and the local people have the most knowledge of the area and it's not knowledge that's written down or anything it's all here mm-hmm. in their brain right. and it's passed on in their soul it's passed on from generation to generation and one of the epiphany moments that i had was when we were building alaska sportsman's lodge i had one of the older one of the elders from igiog came down and he must have been in his late 70s at the time but he came down and he grabbed my wrist and he grabbed it hard and he 
he said, Brian, take care of the water. Like, yeah, Mikey, no problem. I'll take care of it. You know, I'm a kid from Chicago. I turn on the faucet, water comes out, right? I'm mean, living in Anchorage. I got water. I, mean, I never give water a second thought, right? But he grabs me and I, I said, yeah, Mikey, no problem. And he turns and he looks at me and goes, take care of the water. It's in my soul. It's who I am. Mm. I, swear, <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about here? You know, it was like the weight of that. And it was enormous. And had I, I didn't know at that time, but, you know, here I am now leading this battle to pre protect that water in this region. And um, so the local people had a really strong motivating factor for me that was sometimes very uh, daunting that there was this weight on my shoulders, not that I was going to be the guy, but I had no idea how to fight a mining company or how to right. be an NGO or how to move the dial in Washington, D.C. I mean, are you kidding me? Oh, I'm man. just some cocky player kid that happens to run a fishing lodge, right? Yeah. And so, but, I, you know, the the group grew very quickly. Mr. Gillum in town here, Rob, um, um, Bob Gillum, mm -hmm. was instrumental in, in helping fund a lot of the advertising. and op You know, Bob's goal was that he wanted everybody in Juneau to have to weigh in on this. Mm -hmm. And then, we, we used that, and then Trout Unlimited came in, and Trout Unlimited was huge in taking it on a national level. And we kept it local, and we kept it local on purpose because if people of Alaska, which, you know, 75% of people of Alaska say we should be drilling at Anwar tomorrow, that same 75% of the people in Alaska say that we should not be doing Pebble Mine. So we knew that, okay, we, we're, our messaging is getting out. You know, yep. this is a different, a unique resource extraction project that in the state of alaska should be really scrutinized and maybe not done and so once we had that local alaskans support now we knew we could take it national because we would have yep. taken it national first and had the you know the nature conservancies and world wildlife funds and stuff mm -hmm. like that coming in and telling alaskans no you mm -hmm. shouldn't do this you know then we would have been that was a good move man we would have been Right. Yeah, you got to build a foundation for foundation. support right. first, right? Right. Well, I mean, if the people of Bristol Bay would have been saying, yeah, we want it, who am I to say no, right? Yeah. And so I really <clears throat> generally wanted them to have the, the say in it. And Bristol Bay Native Corporation, the leadership through Jason Matrokin was unbelievable. You know, they, they were methodical. They studied it. They could have financially gained tremendous on oh, this. Bet. And But they said, you know what? We, we don't want it. It's not in our culture. It's not... It's not in in line step with what we want to have. We we'll make money other ways. There's other ways to do it, and so things just kind of really came together. And um, but it it was an emotional fight. I mean, there were many times where I was I had tears. You know, just going. I, I'm standing at Lower Tulare Creek and looking at this and going, "Are you kidding me? We're talking about." And I would juxtapose what I saw in the lower 48 from these mines and just put it right yeah right oh, there. Dig go, a big pit right there. Two mile square two mile radius pit 2000 feet deep and then all the destruction and it's the seepingness and our water tables at six feet there it's all interconnected we've documented salmon in what looked like from the air landlocked streams so they have no river access mm. right so that means they're swimming underground it's all yeah. interconnected out there anyways I, I started that off in this whole dietary by about talking about the people of igiogig who i just feel strongly emotionally connected to uh, i feel grateful for their support they've been unbelievable supportive of our business you know we're visitors there we are a customer but at the same time you know th this is their lands and their their heritage that we're very sensitive about to be very in co you know in cohesive working nature with 
So, yeah. Man, that was great. Yeah. No, man, man, that was I was so unbelievably engaged in every word that just came out of your mouth, man. Because I, I, I'm not educated to the to that level on this subject, but to hear that there was so much focus on the local support, you know, to like they had to accept it to make it a reality, no matter what, right? Like there, there was just it didn't matter the amount of money, the can the 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 carrot that was dangled, right? Like right. you can make financially, this would be a huge gain right. for that region. I mean, there was people that were in support of it that were in the region, and you know yeah. they had seen the financial opportunities with it. And you know, yeah, is there um, is there a shortage of jobs in there? Yep. Is the commercial fishery have some problems? Yeah. You know, the the people that live on the east side they don't participate in the CDQ program. Why not? They should. I mean, you know, the, when the CDQ program came out, it was a map of, okay, you had to be this only X number of miles away from the ocean. Well, What's CDQ? Uh, commercial Development Quota. It's oh, okay. the program for, you know, the uh, millions and millions of dollars going to, it's a federal fish tax that goes in. And oh, okay. So back, they, to this, back to the people. Back to the, to the, the people commercial the fisheries. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they get to participate in that, which means you only get cheaper loans or they can do things, upgrades of the boats, Lots they get, get slush ice in, into it and stuff like that. So okay. anyways, you know, the people on the east side, they call it east side, you know, basically Lake Ileana drainage that happen to live in non-Dalton or Port Allsworth or Pedro Bay or Igiagig, they didn't get to participate in those programs. So they're looking at Pebble going, whoa, this is our this yeah, is our why not golden goose, right? right. So mm. we get to participate in this. Mm. And for most of them, especially like Igiagig stayed steadfast. So did Pedro Bay. Pedro Bay was phenomenal in it and that they just were absolute no. We're not no matter how much money you throw at us and, and they left a lot of money on you know, Pebble was throwing around millions and millions of dollars just to have you know, a memorandum of understandings that you're going to work with them. And, you know, they, those villages, you know, they said, no, it's not in our culture. It's not what we want. And there was, there was wow. a willingness to listen though. A willingness to listen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was, um, you know, people participated on their focus or study groups and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, some of them were like, you know, I'd rather have a seat at the table, even though I may not agree with it, but I want to have that level of insight as to what mm -hmm. they're planning, what they're yeah. doing. Learn about it. Right. And so, you know, the people of Bristol Bay, the, the residents of Bristol Bay, are the most knowledgeable about what's going on with fish and game and nature. I mean, they, they know, oh, the wind's blowing out of the north, that means th this is going to happen and the kings aren't going to come here or the soccer. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable, right? Sure. And again, it's not an, it's not on Google or anything like that. Yeah. It's all, it's in their brain, it's mm. in their heritage, it's been passed mm -hmm. down from generation to right. generation. So. Wow. That's beautiful. But, yeah, yeah. Way, way to make it inclusive and and bring everyone together and the learnings and bring people outside the state. That's super impressive, and it, it that's the type of people we need in Alaska. Yeah. Thanks. Well, it was you yeah. know it was tough. There was certainly a, a, a people that thought of like, hey, look, this is definitely economic opportunities and jobs and you know mining and and fisheries can coexist. But you know, it's I I agree that we need minerals. I mean, we've we got them all on our phones. We're doing it right now. We're using them. But there's proper places to do it and places not to do it, yeah. right? And when the risk, the, the, the consequences for mistakes and mining, they, they try and get it right. You know, I'm not going to disparage them. They, they will make a plan. They're trying to get it right. But a lot of it's guessing, right? Yeah. They don't know until they start digging. 
Right. Right. Where is that water going to go? What's going to happen here? What's going to, how much is it going to leach? What, you know, there's a lot of intangibles, a lot of things that you don't know yep. until you start the process. And that's why, you know, they've contaminated the aquifers in Winnemucca, Nevada in a desert. They didn't mean to, they didn't try to, but now they got to truck water into everybody. Can't yeah. drink it out of the faucet. Mm. That just happens, right? Right. It's irreversible. And, and it's irreversible. So although we need minerals, as a society, we better be smart about it. Let's do it in right ways. And I and I agree, we should be doing it in the United States because our standards are the highest, but we shouldn't be doing it in the heart of Bristol Bay where right. you, if you do make a mistake, the consequences are catastrophic yeah. and it's irreplaceable, irreversible. Truly the last frontier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting how we, you know, Alaska in general, like where we get our funds from, you know, we, got, we have oil, you know, rich in um, resources or fishing, um, Tourism. You know, yeah. And we look at the fishing and how it's been depleted <coughs> just through my generation. And, you know, this year was the first year we're not, we're not keen crabbing. And then there's not a lot of people doing things to generate more industry. You know, you building a lodge out there, that's driving more business here. Like what other things are we doing here to not rely on natural resources? And so one of the other views that I've kind of mentioned to people that are pro the mine is you know do we really want to strip all of alaska right now so we finish this oil finish all of our oil and then what's next we'll get this mine and then that like why don't we work on other things and we have to bring more industry to alaska for us to exist and our kids to exist here and our kids kids and our kids 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 and if we don't then all of our natural resources will be depleted and we won't have any source of income here well so alaska is blessed with having the most stunning natural beauty in the country right. so i mean obviously the the program yellowstone's huge and oh, yeah. right and it brings a lot of attention to yellowstone alaska's got 15 yellowstones yeah. right i mean our national parks and just even our state parks the the tourism opportunities although the season is short are massive yeah and when this pebble battle first got going i remember talking to bbnc about it about why aren't you guys in the tourism business why aren't you guys why doesn't bbnc own a lodge in every single village you guys own the lands you know what and even if it breaks even you're bringing in money from the outside that's right that's paying for chefs it's paying for guides it's paying for pilots it's paying for uh, uh, marketing people you got you know and so i was so happy to see bbnc come into the tourism business as far as but they bought a lodge or by dillingham uh, mission lodge and then they bought um uh, cap my you know so they bought oh, wow. you know, they, they operate there's a concession at brooks they got culic lodge and they mm -hmm. got Lodge. so they're heavily invested now in the tourism business which is fantastic right. it's what we should be you yeah. know yeah but to your point you know we need to bring more industry more jobs into the state of alaska but they don't have to be jobs that are going to destroy other opportunities right yep. yeah environmentally absolutely impactful and so we should definitely be capturing on something that's been given to us through nature and that's whenever you have beautiful nature beautiful settings like this they're going to attract attention and alaskans we've found ways to monetize that right yeah. and so whether it be through ecotours bear viewing photography sightseeing whatever it is and again i know the season is short but we can find ways to keep generating that into it our fisheries are another one that we need to have strong leadership in Juneau and protect yeah. and, and on the federal level as well. We need strong protection from it. The stuff that's getting, you know, these deep, these high seas, uh, you know, 
heavy, you know, long liners that are raping the bottom of the ocean. I mean, that's got to be curtailed. I mean, that's got, something's got to be done. We can't yeah. keep raping the bottom of the ocean like that. Yeah. We were just talking about the trawlers last week, weren't we? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can't what even figure out what that was. <laughs> well, you mentioned... Well, 50 a, you, miles. Yeah, 50, yeah. yeah. You mentioned an actually interesting thing, um, whereas most Alaskans, we are pro uh, maybe mining for oil or digging for oil up there where it's, you know, low impact versus when the pebble mine thing, I mean, I don't know very many people that were like, yeah, let's do that. The people that were had financial gain, you know, had financial, or it was either mining industry, you know, the mining industry really coalesce around each other, you know, they, they are, but we did start to see cracks in, in the mining industry, meaning that there were people that were involved in mining that were going, you know, that pebble's probably not the best thing because it's now going to give us a black eye and we want to expand at Fort Knox or we want to expand at Red Dog. And, you know, now we're having, we're dealing with pebble. And if pebble would have gone through and and there would have been a catastrophic event there, I mean, you think it's hard to get a permit in California. It would have been impossible to get one here after long game, long game. It would have, Crippled, right. crippled mining, maybe. Right, right. Could have been disastrous for it. Because now they don't have to worry about that. Right. It was best. The best mining decisions are location. Take location into mm. account. And so, let's do mining. Let's do it right. Let's have the highest standards that we do in the world for doing it right, and then do them in the right locations. Where if you do make a mistake, or you predicted that the water was going to go to the right, but it goes to the left, or there's something that's contaminated. It doesn't have a catastrophic event on a fishery <laughs> or a habitat that mm. supports a fishery. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's so fragile, right? Unbelievable. Unbelievably fragile. You said the water table is six foot? Yeah, up by where Pebble was looking at. We had documentation that it was six feet deep, you know, so soon. You know, and there's all kinds of reverse hydrology that was going to be happening. I mean, it's just, yeah, it would have been would have been very tough to manage the water. And that's the Achilles heel of every mine, you know, cause you got to keep it dry while you're mining the pit and the ore. So how do you keep that water from flowing in there? Right. And wh- now you've interrupted, where can it go? Can you reduplicate? Can you replicate a naturally flowing yeah, stream and, and exactly habitat? Way, yeah, and, no yeah, way. Right. Yeah. Wow. So mm. is sa- salmon fest somehow attached? Yep. Part? How, how is that connected? Mm. So, uh, Anders Hedberg started that out, actually, I want to say, you know, he was working for Mr. Gillum, Bob Gillum, and it was kind of a deal of like, how do we, how do we celebrate, you know, salmon? And we kind of said, well, let's do this salmon fest thing. I think Trout Unlimited was involved as well. And it just uh, kind of started out as a celebration down in the Kiski area. Yeah. And then it just, just massively grown. Oh, and yeah. now, you know, it's like a, what, four or five day oh, festival. Yeah. and. yeah bring in really really good singers and musicians and so it's um yeah it's grown quite the it's not pebble specific it's celebration of salmon right. yeah. but obviously pebble was a major component to right that. yeah i was pretty impressed impressed by like the like short little talks they would have before different you know bands and shows would happen like someone knowledgeable would come up and talk about different things that oh are, they would have yeah, a current events or like you know, just just about the salmon industry and you know pebble mine actually came up. Do they a lot. have That's, that? Got me thinking. Do they have like turkey fest or <laughs> you know other yeah, things? Yeah, yeah. Wild elk, uh, you know, elk manatee yeah, fest, yeah. wild sheep fest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that in other states. Like, uh, well, I mean, salmon 
when when you have a salmon based economy and salmon based culture, I mean that salmon feed everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I say it in our video that you know the salmon of Bristol Bay feed the world, and it, that's true. It, it, you have cultures that survive off of healthy salmon runs, and so we've spent billions of dollars trying to bring back salmon to the Pacific Northwest without success. Here we have it functioning properly and naturally and intact. All we have to do is take care of it. Yeah, don't yeah. fuck it up. Don't screw it up, right? <laughs> I'll say it for you. <laughs> don't fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. That was great. Thank you for that. Uh, that was thank heavy, you. actually. Yeah. I feel like that yeah. was heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank I didn't mean you to get too heavy. heavy. No, that was good. That's good. We're gonna we're gonna take a break and we're gonna lighten it up on the back end here in front of you guys. We're gonna have fun on the next session. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a good one. We'll come back and see um how your trivia game is. I'm not too good at trivia. No, okay, good, because we, we aren't either. <laughs> Tailored Restoration, 24-hour emergency home services, helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Tailored has an emergency response number with trained professionals available to help you at any time, day or night. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Make an appointment today at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products, providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. At Total Truck, you can find brands such as ARE, RSI Smart Caps, Goose Gear, iCamper, Front Runner, Rigid Lights, Rhino Linings Bed Liners, and everything you need to outfit your truck or SUV. Alaska Overlander provides 4x4 vehicles and expedition trailers, custom modified for Alaskan adventures and outfitted with rooftop tents, fridges, and all the camping and cooking gear you need to start exploring. Visit them at alaskaoverlander.com. I just want to bring a couple uh, quick current events that are coming up before we get back on the show here. Um, we have the uh, BHA Russian River cleanup going on June 9th through the 11th. Um, if you're going to be out in that area and you enjoy the Kenai and the Russian River area, be sure to look up at BHA um, Alaska, Backcountry Owners and Anglers of Alaska. They're doing a big cleanup up there. There's also a lot of other cleanups going on. There's going to be the Ship Creek cleanup. I know there's the Eagle River um, Highland kind of area cleanup. Um, Golcana cleanup. So be on the lookout for some of that stuff. If you got a free couple of hours, you know, it's always good to get out there and just help up pick up some trash or, or some things like that to get the, uh, to get the ball rolling there. So thank you also to all the Patreon members and everyone that's supporting us buying our merch and stuff like that. It's really helpful. Thank you for everyone for that. Um, and Jack will be right back and we'll get the trivia going. Um, and then we'll want to jump into what the lodge is looking like nowadays and some funny stories that um we heard from uh jj and uh and some of this <laughs> and uh, billy crumb and some of these other guys that maybe had a good experience out there with the uh with the wildlife and stuff like that i don't know if those are valid uh stories i'd have to verify that those actually happened at some point those are known to embellish a little bit that's all right that, that makes them very entertaining you have to know where the source is on some of this yeah stuff. yeah that's okay. right that's yep. right that's right yep. oh so before the trivia real quick 
So what, what was there any connection to the drug, like the Colombian drug no. dealers and stuff to the... No, uh, nothing no, ever came back to haunt you nothing, on any of that? Uh, actually, so Gary and I were drinking <laughs> beers one night, and we're at the lodge, and I go, yeah, you know, Colombian drunk, maybe we should start knocking on some of these walls and find some <laughs> money, <laughs> right? Walls, yeah, 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 sure. Pounds and of cocaine. Then we went, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. It's the Colombian drug cartel. We don't want to fight it. Stop. We don't want to fight it. You don't even. That's that. You don't want that money. No, no, we, so. Do you value your life? Yes, yeah. I do. But one another little funny tangent story on that is, you know, I'm not a hard guy to find in this town, especially when I was closer to my hockey playing days and stuff. You know, all right, Friday night, Sullivan Arena. All right, yeah, I'll go find them. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm. At the lodge, at Alaska Sportsman's Lodge, I built it in, I don't know, this might have been, what do I call it, I'm just going to say like 2010, okay, 2012, whatever. Anyways, I, I was late, I would change out, so guests leave and new guests come in, and mm -hmm. the new guests were in, and we always do that late afternoon, early evening, and so they're sitting down, they're having dinner. Well, I had missed the change out, and I was at one of the other lodges and I flew in and so I'm standing there talking at the dining room table I introduced myself hey guys I'm Brian Kraft I'm one of the owners of the lodge and just wanted to welcome you and thanks for coming and anyways have a safe and enjoyable experience and I get done and guy stands up in the back corner and he is chiseled and he's like six foot three and he's just he's got a jawline like it's <laughs> iron he's shaved head Bruce Willis shaved head and he looks at me and goes Brian Kraft, I've been wanting to talk to you. And he points his finger at me like this. And I'm like, uh, uh, well, I, I, I'm married. I'm faithful. <laughs> what is going on? And so I go back and sit next to him. His name is Bob Keen. And Bob Keen was the lead FBI agent on the bust of Big Mountain. Oh, no way. And he, go, and he you know, he's working for Doyon Services here in town, and it's not like he couldn't find me in all oh, these years. Anytime, yeah. Yeah, and, but anyways, he was a, a guest at the lodge at the time, and so we sit down and we talk for hours about that, and just, it was amazing. And he said, what the thing that wrapped this all together was there was never, because I asked him, was it, were they doing drugs or her? What was, you know, the money? And he goes, nothing ever came through there. But they handled the logistics through there. They handled their communications. Because mm. they figured Alaska, nobody would be listening in. No one would in. listen to that, yeah. And the government was, and but they couldn't, you know, they still needed another piece. And that piece was this little book that had everybody's name in it that visited the lodge. So Al Capone or whatever, you know, I'm just making it Lucky Luciano, whatever the names were of these guys that were involved in it. And had all their names in the book. And that book was at the lodge. And that was the one piece of evidence that he said that tied this whole thing together. Because now they could put Lucky Luciani at that lodge. This was his voice connected to that date. Oh, and that man. hooked them all in. And so, anyways. A remote lodge in Alaska. Yeah. Wow. And that That's lodge. Cool. It, that is that, so rad, dude. The unfortunate thing is that lodge doesn't operate. You know, the attorney ended up running into it. It's a local attorney guy. And he ended up running into the ground and... To this day, it's not? Now it doesn't anymore, yeah. No, it doesn't. And it, yeah, it's, it was a mess, but. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's probably just weathered and ripped yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, dilapidated. It's yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And then there's no commitment to go clean it up? Yeah, the village will take care of it. You know, yeah. the village has <laughs> got plans of taking care of it and 
So okay, yeah. Oh, because uh, it's on their leased land. Oh, uh, it's an individual Native Alaskan. It's on Native allotment, okay. and that's the other thing. You know, that Native allotment owner he ended up losing out big time on it. You know, because oh, right. for sure, right? Yeah, lost all of his rent, yeah, all the revenue, and yeah, he could have his heirs. Now he's passed, but his heirs. Yeah, it's no. passed down to family yeah. members that right. maybe don't have the same passion or love for it. Yeah, yeah. What a bummer. Well, thanks for sharing that story, man. That is cool. <laughs> but, uh, can we admit something real quick? Because before you came on, we're like, hey, man, I wonder if you'd be cool talking about the backstory. Yeah. <laughs> so when you threw the, the cartel thing out, we're like pumping, yeah. like, yes, yes. He's already going to talk about it. <laughs> we don't even have to ask him. Well, that's not even the backstory. There's a backstory to the backstory. Oh. Is that okay? Is that the off the mic story? Or what? I'm kidding. No, that's okay. it. You got, all, you got all the dirt right there. All right, all right, all right. Other than what Billy and JJ have told you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah, running them to the dirt. You got to remember, I coached those kids, right? I oh, call yeah. them kids, you know. They're but I, sure. they were kids when I was coaching them, right? So they might have a little axe to grind that I didn't put them on the power play or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't have cut them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trust me, they love you, coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do that. Uh, just went out to a bait station with uh, Billy Crum here a couple weekends ago. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a big bow hunter now. Yeah, he's really got yeah, he's got it. Actually, uh, Billy, you need to go down to Full Curl and get your damn bow. Dave almost sold it. Really? Mistake. Yeah. Oh, he's got it all set up in there. Maybe I should go. Well, he had it hanging up, and he was like, "Yeah, I was selling a bow." And he's like, "Oh wait, this is Billy's." Yeah. <laughs> 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 Hung it back up. <laughs> yeah, he, Billy told me I need to go down because I don't bow. I don't bow hunt. I, we're, yeah. we're fort, we've got some property down in Montana that we're building up, and that you can only bow hunt on it. Oh, nice. So I was telling Billy, I need to get in that. He goes, yeah, go down and see Dave at Full Curl. It, take care of you big time mm-hmm. so maybe i should go get that bow <laughs> it's, it's, it, I, I know he happens to be uh down in yakutat right now so yeah. it's just sitting right there right now waiting for you perfect it's good perfect. timing yeah. <laughs> all right jackie hit us with it all right so uh first question is uh what's alaska's biggest lake and what's its depth width and length do I get to participate? You're last. Oh, absolutely. You are, for yeah. sure. You get to go last, though, because you're the most knowledgeable on this. Uh, <laughs> I believe it's Iliamna. Uh, depth, width, and, and length. Yeah. Depth is 127 feet. Width is 32 miles wide. Length is... I'm just so guessing right now. Length is uh, 83 miles long. Cool. Okay, good. All right, I'm going to say Iliamna as well. All right. And for length, I'm going to say 96 miles length. And for width, I'm going to say six miles. Okay, wide. Oh, shit. And then, what would you say, depth? Yeah, And you said 183? 137. I'm going to say 336. What did I say with again? I said like... 32. All right. Uh, Well, this could be embarrassing if I don't get it right, but (laughs) I'm going to say that Lake Iliamna is Alaska's largest lake. It's 1,000 feet deep, 90 miles long, and 30 miles wide. Nailed it. (laughs) 1,000 feet deep? Wow. I was massive. impressed that it was that. Did deep. I say 127? 137. Yeah. I mean, it's where the monster lives, right? It's where Ellie That's lives. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, Have yeah. you ever seen it? Nope. There are people that 
well, I can't say their names because they won't want to get all kinds of Facebook <laughs> uh, messages or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, there's people that say that they've seen it. Do they have a story along with it? How many? They don't like the red boats. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Interesting. It it'll, bumps them or? It'll, it'll attack them, kill them. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Good wow. Well, I have I have seen like the images. From, like I think they believe they're sturgeon. Big sturgeon. Big sturgeon that are swimming up in there? I think there's something, you know, David, my partner, David Sandlin, he's always said, let's go fish down deep there. You yeah. know, I'm not a big deep sea guy or anything, but, um, you know, David is, we should go try and find some down there. There's probably some oh, big, yeah. big things down there. Mm. Wow, put yeah, a line the down monster there and search. A thousand. Man, let's go do that. That'd be fun. A lake? Yeah. So none of you guys have fished it? Not out deep. You know, we fish about, you know, a quarter mile out. We'll right. fish for, for rainbows you yeah. know, that are moving into the lake. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's not, it, that lake gets kicked up. I mean, it, it can be dangerous. I oh, bet. Yeah. The wind rips through Does there. Does that have it, tides? No tides. No tides on that one. Nope. When you get out in the middle, have you ever been in the middle middle? <laughs> yeah, well, what feels like the middle, but, you know, you're just a couple miles offshore. Okay, yeah, I guess so. You can still see. Well, yeah. yeah, you can see, you can 15. see, yeah. yeah, and it's actually stunning when you're at the outlet right at Igiagig there, right mm-hmm. at the, uh, the mouth of the river, and that's well, the headwaters of the river. And you look across on a clear day, you can see Mount Iliamna, and I mean, it's just yeah, unbelievable. Just, you see all around the lake, and it's, it's stunning, Amazing. it's breathtaking. Epic. Yeah. I've never been out there, I was I haven't check it out. Is it yeah. a pretty windy lake? Yeah, 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 yeah. it can get windy. Is all lakes pretty windy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> are, there, are there many days that you get a whole day that you would feel comfortable being in the middle? Well, yeah, I mean, there's days where it's flat calm, but I yeah. mean, you, the trouble is, is you know, it can kick up at any time. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not like you want to go out there and test it out, right? right. Yeah, man. I mean, there's barge service. There's barge that comes across. Yeah. You know, Ray Williams, you know, Williamsport. You know, they'll bring a barge across and stuff. But or they're running the in the middle big water. Yeah, but they pick it. You know, they pick their days, and, and uh-huh. the commercial fishermen come over too, right? So there's a portage from you know, guys on the on the Cook Inlet side will come over to Williamsport, which mm-hmm. is on the west side of Cook Inlet. And Williamsport, from Williamsport to Pile Bay, there's a 14-mile road. And mm-hmm. Ray Williams, he'll bring, he, he hauls those boats across that road. Wow. And then they put in there and, and go down to Bristol Bay, through the Quijack. And they'll do that rather than going all the way around, you know, the, Illusion falls oh, past and coming yeah. up, you know, say some days by, oh, yeah. by Lots doing of it this fuel. way. Yeah, fuel, yeah. So what do they dry, dry pick them up with those big lifts? And then yeah, they pick them up on, on, a, on a low boy or something? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just something that they would use a, uh, a trailer and tractor them across. Really treacherous road. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, I it's, mean, it's got to be... Yeah, it's like, narrow and there's some yeah. really... You make a left turn and you're going down the cliff. But Sliding. It's beautiful. <laughs> stunningly beautiful. That's so cool, man. Cool asking shit. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> All right. So the next one's kind of fun. So Lake uh, Iliamna is fed by how many tributaries plus what other lake and how wide and long how is that lake? Ooh. Ooh. Tributaries? Mm-hmm. A bunch of. I was just looking at the map before the show tonight, and there's that lake off to the right. Yep, there's it's actually like two big lakes lake. off to the right, right, but one of them's big, and that's what we're tea. talking about. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. I, the I'm name. gonna go with the tributaries, though. Uh, how many tributaries feed it? 
I'm going to say 90. 90. Name, named and unnamed. We're just going to go for it. Yeah, well, the, I mean, it's I I don't know if they're they're probably all named because they're they're actually mm, tributaries. Yeah, true, I true. Would say they're named. I'm gonna say there's 3,200 tri- tributaries. Ooh, 3,200 and how many? 90. What do you think? I'm gonna cut yours down a little bit. I'm okay. gonna say 32. There's 34. Oh, whoa. So you guys are really close. 3,400. Yeah, and okay, no, no, so 34. Oh, 34. Oh, 34. Okay, I said. Oh, I was, okay, I, I said 30, 90. Okay, you said 3,400. I thought there'd be 34. Okay, okay. So I wasn't that bad. This would be like okay. a creek or you know river. Or okay. Whatever. Well, I just okay. figured there's well, like that's, so that's, many that's, little tributaries that would be dumping everywhere. That's good to hear that because my in my little spiel that I always give people, I tell them there's 32 major tributaries that drain into Lake Iliamna okay. and one river that connects it to Bristol Bay, and that's the Quijac. Yeah, yeah, so they're perfect. Ah, okay. So now I got to amend that and say 34. Yeah, there you go. Okay. There you go. All right. There you go. Okay. What, was, what was the lake, though? So, oh, you, oh, wait, you guys go for the lake now. Oh, I, I could make up a name. I, yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, you know, what's the lake? I have lake no Clark. idea. Lake Clark. Oh, I oh. was going to say Clark. Yeah. I, thought, I thought that was way lower. No, Lake Clark's to the northeast. northeast. There was another oh. lake, though. It's Six Mile Lake. Oh, no, it's with the T, you're right. Because we were looking at the map. Yeah. Well, that's why, the, the, like, Testamina? No. no. I had a, a map. We're looking at the lodge for the Google Earth. Yeah, right there. What is that? Scroll to the right. What's um, Oh, the Kukalek. Oh, that's that's Gibraltar Lake right there. Oh, Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Okay. Yeah. No, there was another one that was like above it, wasn't there? Yeah, was it this this one right? Well, I guess there's tons of lakes around there. Right here, this one here. Yeah, what's that one? Scroll in. Mm. Yeah. Like I think you're in the right spot. Well, there's only the Omna, right? Yeah, go, yeah, up yeah. More, go up more. No, go to the top right. Go east and north. Up, 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 northeast. Up, up, up. Okay. Or this way. London. Yeah, and okay. there's the New Halen River. Yep. Okay, that one. Go right, oh, right to Port Allsworth. Port Allsworth. Yeah. What, what lake is that? That's Lake Clark. That's Lake Clark. That's Lake Clark. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. And then that's Lake Clark there. there. And yeah. then at the end of that, there's another lake called Six Mile Lake that's on this, this New Halen here. River. Let I think t- it's for. Let me take a guess. Maybe that's it. Six miles long. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Bar down. Man, that's, that area is so cool. It is. Yeah, super amazing. cool. Is there another one, Jackie? Yeah. Oh, there's many? one more. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Here I we almost go. feel ashamed that I haven't. Man, Alaska is so big. Like Brian oh. said, you just can't see it all. No, I mean, you can't. You eventually, maybe, but you know, I mean, maybe I, some time. I, no, I mean, I, my, I intend to. I just, I feel like. I was I was tell, telling these guys before the show, I used to be a, a small local insurance adjuster. I'd fly out small aircraft to small towns and go look at look at you know damaged properties. And Fish Alaska was my favorite thing to read. <laughs> and Alaska Sportsman's Lodge was in there quite frequently. And and I always told myself I'm going to go fly and go fish remote out of Bristol Bay area. And I thought, oh, I'm like I'll do that for sure. Like bucket list Alaskan thing, <laughs> and here it is twenty something years later. I still haven't done it. Yeah, yeah. so I'm like, man, it's, it's need on the it, bucket need list. Need to make for it happen. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No need to leave Alaska in the summertime. Oh That's no right. way! I told my I, I refuse to go, go visit anyone or do anything in the summertime. In summer projects, 
no yeah there's no projects that get done yeah I mean, <laughs> and especially september you know i kind of tell yeah. my wife september is off limits i mean september oh, man, and dude. first part of october we're i'm in one spot and that's on the quijack hell yeah because that's your time right well, I mean, we, we're open June 7th through October 15th at Alaska Sportsman. We own Alaska Sportsman's Lodge and we own Bristol Bay Lodge. Bristol Bay Lodge is on Lake Lignigic, which is west of Dillingham. Okay. So those are the two that I'm involved with. We we had four at one point. We had another one in King Salmon called Bear Trail Lodge, and now local couple own that. Nancy, mm. and Nancy Lyons and Heath Lyons own that one. And then um, Gary Sampson is uh, at Kodiak Sportsman's Lodge. Mm. Okay. And... Gary, um, unfortunately, you know, has got some health concerns and stuff. So mm-hmm. I gave him my ownership and that, and so I'm no longer involved in that. But wow, that's on the Carlet. Uh, no, it's uh, in Old Harbor. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, right. it's another spectacular, beautiful spot. Yeah, no oh, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. You just gave it to him. Yeah, I mean, he's doing all the work, and you know, no, it just goes back to that handshake. Well, yeah, I mean, it was good old boy way of handling things, man. I mean, it's so it honorable. Was, Thank That's you. great. But yeah. It, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you live it properly and it comes back and it does. treats you properly. That's right. It, it just feels like there's just something about that that's lost in society now. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Gary was, we, we bought, David and I and Gary, we bought, well, it was David and I, we bought Kodiak Sportsman's Lodge and Gary had, was kind of our head guide manager. And so, you know, at that opportunity, he wanted to go over and have opportunity to be an owner. So we gave him ownership in it. And then, I hadn't been doing much with it. I'd been doing some marketing and stuff, but Gary and his wife, Jeannie, were doing all the work. Jeannie's from Cordova, and she's a mm-hmm. chef and phenomenal, and they were doing all the work for it. And, you know, this unfortunate thing with Gary, I mean, hopefully he's going to be all right, but it's like, you know what? You guys have it and take yeah. it. And what that actually allowed them to do was allowed them to bring in another investor. They got an influx of, of, of cash, a local guy, Rick Stonkey. He owned an interior services company here in town. And passionate, passionate hunter and uh, an angler, and so Rick had been out there quite a bit, and he's, yeah, I'll get in on it. And Sweet. they've, yeah, they've reaped huge rewards. They're sold yeah. out last year, and I mean, it's so awesome. But yeah, pa- passing on the love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's dope. One more, one more. All right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. What? How many? How many? Uh, sockeye go up the Quijack? What on what, average? On average? On average? Over Ooh. twenty years. I only have the on range. Average I only year. have okay. the range anyway, so you guys can give the range if you want, or just an average. Six hundred thousand. Uh, two hundred fifty thousand in a day. That's right. Whoa. Okay. What is well, it? You want me to say? Shit. I should say my number, and you tell me if I'm right. Okay. Does that work? Sure. So my range is two to four million, and it was three million was what I was going to say. Well, that's on average. Oh, wait, it connects to the lake. Over the last... Oh, man. I mean, we've had runs of 10 million. 10 million? Yeah. And we get about 30,000 fish an hour at times. Holy cow. Ah, shit. That's amazing. You can just, like, walk (sighs) across them. It's unreal. I I was gauging, like, Kenai River return. I was, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's 250,000 fish in a day would be... Oh kind my of, God. you know, maybe June 28th, 29th. Just peaked at, out. At, at the, you know, at the peak of it, you know, 300, 400,000 fish a day. Wow. I mean, does the, does the water literally boil? No, well, it's, you know, Quijac's big and wide. Yeah. It's braided right where we're at. Oh, okay. And it get, becomes single channeled as you get between Alaska Sports Lodge and, and the mouth, and Igiagig. And, um, 
but you know they're going right up the bank, and so yeah, you know, they might be six, eight, ten wide going up the bank, and it's just just it, stacked. The, the difference between you know the Kenai or you know the Russian area, but the, the Kenai and the Quijac is the Quijac's crystal clear. Mm-hmm. So you see them, just right. see bodies. Them. Yeah. Yeah. and it can become maddening, right? Because just all these tails. <laughs> <than that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it, but it, it's unbelievably inspiring to see that much biomass coming into oh, yeah. a river system like that. At, you know, when, on the Quijac at you know Igiag, you got Sportsman's Lodge. They're basically two days you know tw- anywhere from 24 to 36 hours from the salt okay and so you know maybe 48 but they're chucking you know yeah. they're, moving, they're marching right along the bank and moving do they way. have a sonar uh no the so the actual ac- more accurate way to do it is through a counting tower because oh, it's really? so clear okay yep so, so they, yeah. they just, what a great they, fishing game job you just said. Dude, your thumbs got to be just worn. So they take, they take <laughs> a 10 <laughs> minute, they take a 10 minute sample on each side of the river uh-huh. and then they multiply it by six oh, and you know, okay. extrapolate okay. that yeah. to be the mm-hmm. escapement for the hours. And that, you know, you talk about a, what a great job, you know, for some college kid or some yeah. intern, you got, you're doing that, but those people, those three guys or gals that are doing that fish counting control a billion dollar fishery because once you get the escapement numbers you know they get openers and things yeah, like that yeah. so <laughs> uh, that's so, great and then about how many kings do they get quijack doesn't have it, it has a very 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 small run of kings okay. not one that we don't actively target kings there uh-huh. it's just it's kind of cool when you see one you know, yeah again it's clear and you can see well there's a big king big torpedo in there yeah but um, it doesn't really have a run of kings, and you know, quite honestly, it's that it's a little bit of a blessing because kings do bring, you know, historically they bring a lot of traffic, right? And so, you know, we've got our sockeye run. Um, you know, we got all five species of Pacific salmon on the Quijac, but you know, the big thing are the rainbows, right? You know, yeah, so. yeah, cool. Um, I got some questions about the logistics for the opening of the lodge, but I yeah. wanted to maybe, if we could, Brandon. Um, yeah. play the opening because um, well, tell us the guy who did the video again. Yeah, sure. What uh, was his name? Corey. 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 He Corey did Loma. awesome. Yeah. Is that his video where you do the opening one? Is that it uh, right the, there, Brandon? The opener. The opener? Yeah. Uh, Any video that's on is by Corey. Okay, Brandon, there's one that says the opener. There's the fin- fall finale and then if you scroll down, <laughs> maybe there's one that's the opener. Um, that I, I mean, extremely well done. Hold the line... I thought maybe oh, we, was it on Brian's? Oh yeah, no. Go to the other. No, it's on this one. It's on this okay. one. It's on this one. Yeah, keep going down. These maybe. photos are unbelievable, man. Where do you? Where is you guys getting pike? Uh, just in some of the lakes. Yeah, Pr- pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Really big, big pike. The, oh, <laughs> there's some monsters <laughs> on there. So it, it, you haven't seen there? any invasion into the the river system? No, not really. Not really. Um, yeah, we go on fishermen, some yep, keep going down. and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, actually it's kind of out of a little bit of necessity for June because mm-hmm. king runs are a little bit slower. Uh, we still have people that want to go and fish them. You know, we yeah. say, you know, we're real honest with our clientele and we'll tell them, you know, you might get a, a king or two or it might be a little bit smaller or whatever. We, we gauge it. 
but so we've had to find alternative types of fisheries yeah, yeah. and yeah, rainbow trout and down, dollies are, are good and grayling and stuff but from that tweener period between the season opener because rainbow trout fishing is really really good but once the rainbow trout fishing kind of wanes a little bit yeah and before sockeye get there we need yeah. something yeah you, know, you got to have a tight line yeah be able to at least get people to a tight line yeah totally and I mean, people, the pike. I mean, especially you know, forty-inch pike. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> and on a fly. Back and it, that, that one's beak. I mean, it's as big as a dog's. <laughs> the, there's a. If you go to the website, on the videos. Go back up and go to the videos. Um. Up, 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 and then go reels. So that's my wife in the red. That's Serena. Oh, there. Click that. Yep. Let me see. There was one that said the opener. Scroll down. Might be back at the oh, hold the line. What is this? Uh, Facebook or something? No, this is Instagram. Right there. there. Oh, there it is. it is. Instagram. Can you s spread that out? Yep, make it bigger. On it. So flying in each spring is—it's an emotional experience that I I have when I come back to the river, and I know a lot of our staff experience that same emotion, and that's one of just pure love and appreciation for this river being here and I feel like I'm at home when I come here. There's a couple of components coming into opening up for any season here at Alaska Sportsman's Lodge. So the task list is enormous to get something like this going. It's pages and pages and pages that we have to check off. It's definitely a logistically challenging task in that you have a target where you're trying to get to and that target is we have to be ready on the evening of June 7th to receive our guests that are coming in and be prepared to take them fishing on June 8th. Uh, let the games begin Anticipating the main event Crowd decided lights been dim and the show don't start until I step in. I display so proper crowd and show rock of what I got on my sleep on my trip in the glow trotter. Others cool compared to me, they know not to shut up down with the showstopper. It is amazing the undertaking that happens and the logistical challenges that we're dealing with out here in the middle of nowhere. Everything has to come in here. It's not like, oh, we forgot this, run down to the hardware store and get it, or oh, hey, we need some eggs for tomorrow morning, go to the grocery store and get it. I mean, it's all pre-planned, and then just the physical just freezes of up. It, it, it's unbelievable. That's where JJ and Billy come in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there are expediting arm in Anchorage. Yeah, there are lifeline. It, it's actually important. You know, they do a really good job of it. Yeah, I bet it's critical. You yeah. got to have that guy. You go grab your whatever it is, your prop or Any whatever broke. Any activity, hunting or fishing, brings a great sense of excitement because you don't know what it's going to give you. There's anticipation. You get that rush, that adrenaline rush going through. And, okay, we're here. <laughs> Everything we've done, we worked for all winter long, all the parts and pieces fitting together coming to that one moment where you can finally cast that line and hopefully it comes tight. <laughs> this is first of uh, 128 straight days, boys. So let's uh, really rally this one up. Let's stay together. Understand we're all on the same team. We're here for a reason. That's to have a good, safe, enjoyable summer. Show some people some great times. Create some epic memories that people have for a lifetime. Mm.
A little delay on the freeze up from the. Oh, is that what it's doing? Okay, because I'm watching my, my screen. Yeah. There it goes. We can see some tight lines here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. Spooling. Spooling. And it's raining. That's about right. Yeah. Woo! Look at that. Mouse in? Yeah. yeah. This is well done. God damn, look at that fish. Lake trout. Lake trout. Oh, get out of here. Laker eating small. Fly fishing for Lakers. So fun. Damn. Rainbow there. Dude, every fish in those net are just monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have to get a bigger net. Oh, man, look at that. Set it and forget it. Look at how clear that water is. Hell yeah. Gin clear, he said. Gin clear, (laughs) man. God damn, look at those fish. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. It'll catch up. It's just not. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. Internet. Yep. I could watch this all day. Yeah, for real. And the production, um, what, what was your buddy's name? Uh, it's Corey Luoma, and he's got uh, Fly Out Media. There Man, he does a phenomenal job. Not for hire, his. guys. Not for nope. hire. He's booked. <laughs> <laughs> nope. All you guys could use him. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's impressive work. And, I mean, it just goes hand in hand with your the quality of your lodge. Uh, it really shows the experience, um, what you're projecting for your Thanks. clients. Yeah, it was, uh, it's important for us that we are quality all the way through. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. Not, we're not cutting corners. We're not being, um, you know, flipping with our financial resources or anything like mm-hmm. that. And, but No half-stepping. Right. But it's it's quality. And, yeah. You know, we, we put a lot of effort into getting the best people, and we always have the best equipment. We don't cut corners with maintenance. We don't cut corners with safety, yep. and we do it right. Yeah. And it's just our, our attitude, and it's, it's all the way through. And yep. everybody, you know, we... we look for that quality in people and we so one of the things i'm probably most proud of at alaska sportsman's lodge so this will be so what is this this is going to be our 27th season our 27th season in operation and to this day we do not have one guide that worked for us or or pilot that worked for us that is now working for another lodge in alaska that we wanted Mm -hmm. to have back now we've cut ties with some and mm-hmm. said, yeah. okay just yeah, didn't work yeah. out whatever and some of those guys are working and they're doing great which is awesome but we don't have people leaving us we don't have and you know it's a seasonal job yeah you know? right. and so we don't have people that are going you know what the grass is a little greener over at that other lodge across the lake or on that other side of the bay we're getting, they come to us and that's it and they, they're, they're, yeah. they're and we've got unheard of amount of time we got guides that have been with us for 22 years 18 years 19 years i mean wow. it's insane you know and they've just this is their career and they've Stick settled in we treat everybody 
I think really, really well. Everybody's got their own cabins. There's no sharing of that. You know, we staff eats what guests eat. So if guests are eating filet mignon, staff are eating filet mm-hmm. mignon. I mean, you know, we just try to do it right and yeah. high quality throughout. And so, but yeah, and Corey and Katie are a big part of it. You know, the, the videos, we want that to replicate what we're doing yeah, and what our efforts are and what's happening. That, that one's really good. The, the hold the line one, you know, we that one there originally was produced to bring awareness to uh, public testimony on Pebble, and it was showing oh. the connection of of the salmon, uh, what the salmon bring to the region, and how everything feeds off of it, and the connection that that has with the uh, ecosystem and the habitat, as well as with the rainbow trout, and that connection with my family. And my responsibility to ensure that it's in as good a shape or better when it's there from me. And I have my little tag that I put on everything that my emails that I didn't inherit this land or this opportunity from my ancestors. I'm borrowing it from my children. And so it's my responsibility to take care of it and ensure it's mm. in better well, shape than yeah. I had it. So, yeah. Anyways, um, what is it? Uh, what does it mean to be Orvis endorsed lodge? Uh, an Orvis endorsed lodge. So Orvis, you know, fly fishing company, mm-hmm. um, strong, strong roots. Uh, you know, they're out of Vermont now. And when I uh, first got built Alaska Sportsman's Lodge, I would go to these sports shows. I'd, I'd do 15 sports shows, just like we have the great Alaska Sportsman mm-hmm. show here. Mm-hmm. So I'd do them all across the country. I'd leave in January. Big ones too, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. Denver and Dallas and SCI and in in uh, Reno and, you know, just all of them, Chicago, Minneapolis, everywhere. Anyways, I'd go to these support shows and there'd be, you know, there'd be, call it 600 exhibitors and a hundred of them would be Alaskans. I'd be like, how is some customer going to differentiate Alaska Sportsman's Lodge from ABC Lodge, XYZ Lodge, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, we're all saying the same thing. Oh, we got the best food. We got the best lodge. We got the best river. You know, we got the best fishing. So what's going to set me apart? And I'm, you know, building my reputation. And Orvis had the Orvis endorsement. And it was the closest thing to, you know, any kind of like uh, Condé Nast or, you know, the hotels that get the five-star yeah, rating yeah. or whatever, Michelin mm-hmm. ratings and stuff. Yeah. And so, I went, hmm, you know, Orvis has got it. So for a customer... This gives them a sense of security and confidence that we meet a certain standard. Oh. And um, so I called up Orvis and I said, hey, can I'd like to become Orvis endorsed. At the time, they had a rule in place that you could only have one endorse. There couldn't be more than one endorsement within a 50-mile radius. And mm. we being where we were at, we're 48.9 miles away from King Salmon. Uh-huh. And there was an endorsed guide in King Salmon. They So I let it go for a couple of years. Well, then that guide business actually decided to get out of the business. So Orvis called me up. And they what it is is they, come, they came to the lodge. They Book actually the inspect it. But, you know, they just actually came to the lodge. We hosted them, a single guy. And he comes there and he inspects the lodge, looks at it. And I was really... Um, I learned a lot from that because he would talk to basically every client that was there and not once did he ask him how the fishing was. Not one guess. He asked, 
Was the guide prepared? Was the guide professional? Did they have all the right equipment? Did, how was the meal? How you know? How was the room? Was the pillow f- nice enough? Were the light bulbs all working? You know, all this. And so, you know, I felt really honored that you know they stayed there. Orvis was there for three days, and when they walked out, they said normally we go back and we talk it over but you got the endorsement you're mm. and so oh, it was like, okay. so it's really on the hospitality side yeah very much so on, on the customer service yeah and, you know fishing is a component you know sure they they knew the fishing of bristol bay is <laughs> yeah. best in the world yeah. and so but um so you, you get the endorsement there is a fee that we pay you know it's to help c- cover some of the costs of they produce massive print advertising and everything and, oh, right. and digital media and stuff so but there is a fee that's associated with it and there's a review process and every guest that comes to the lodge gets a, a survey that goes directly to orvis so we don't have so it goes right to orvis first and then orvis disseminates the information to us but um uh and they'll do a visit once every you know three years or so and they'll come out and they'll just check out you know check in and see how things are going they have taken there was one alaskan lodge that they took the endorsement away because the service side of it had fallen a little Mm. bit but um and and i really like the orvis program because they're not saturating with every lodge in bristol bay right so there's there's intricate bay lodge there's sportsman's there's crystal creek uh, Bristol Bay, so I have two of them, and then Tick Tick Narrow. So there's what six lodges in Bristol Bay. It's exclusive. That, yeah, and they mm-hmm. keep it that mm-hmm. way. You know, they want to have enough vacancy. That's one of the things that they're worried about. Sports, you know, we're we're booked a lot. Oh right, like, other you know, options. We want people to, you know, be able to get into these Orvis and Doris lodges. So they're conscious of that, but at the same time, they're also conscious of not just getting okay. Let's have you know every lodge every in Bristol Dick Bay. Let's have forty there. lodges there. You know, now you diminish the product as well, the the brand. <clears throat> yeah. So. But it's, and then Orvis has really made a commitment. They had slipped on their gear, you know, um, uh, uh, Sims was really kind of getting the bulk share, of, especially on the western part yeah. of the western fisheries. And Orvis made a conscious recognition that they their quality had slipped, and this was maybe eight years ago. And you got to remember, you know, that's like when you're trying to change quality or change a product design with a company like that, you're shifting a battleship right you're turning a, or an aircraft carrier you know mm-hmm. it's, it's a big, big turn it's a big Slow turn, turn right yeah. so it took them some years but they their 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 fly rods are phenomenal the helios rod is the h3 rod is absolutely phenomenal and the mirage reel is fantastic and the waders now are all high quality and they've really committed to it and quite honestly you know fishing is only about eight percent of that business of that company's business revenue because they've become clothing yeah, you know, yeah a lot of clothing right. and, and hunting yeah. you know the right the, the shotguns are a big part of it and the, the bird hunting component yeah yeah and waterfowl so, and whatnot yep. yeah so you, you mentioned availability I'm just curious like how many in an average year how many guests would you say go through the sportsman lodge um it's i it's hard to quantify the exact number i'd say you know between five and six hundred but that's uh because we at sportsman's lodge we do a unique thing we do short stays so when i first got in the business in bristol bay it was a seven day trip only mm. or six days and, and to this day most lodges are a seven night six day trip mm-hmm. and i got into it and you know remember the stories i was telling you about my hockey connections and you know with the people here in alaska or in anchorage a lot of anchorage people are saying hey look you know i've got some 
business people coming up or, you know, ConocoPhillips have some oil people coming up or whatever, and they're going to be here for four days, but they can't come out for a week. Can you do something for like three days? Mm. And so I was hearing a lot of that. And at the same time, the people that were, you know, there was a shift in the marketplace from the lower 48. It was getting a younger sport. You know, people were making significant, more, you know, good money. The jobs were paying well. And you get guys that were 40 years old that were in the prime of their earning years that wanted to come out but they couldn't take seven days because back then a seven day trip was like really a nine day trip with the mm-hmm. logistics of yeah. the flights mm-hmm. and everything so they're like man you know can you do a shorter trip so long story we we were the first to combine it so we did a four night four day trip combined with well actually we did a uh, four night four and a half day trip and a two night two and a half day trip so my local guys would come out friday afternoon they'd leave anchorage at noon and get out to the lodge and we'd fish late and we'd fish that day and they'd fish fr- half day friday all day saturday all day sunday and then they would fly back in and that plane that would bring out the new guests those new guests would stay four and a half days and they'd stay fish Perfect. monday oh, tuesday wednesday thursday week. Mm-hmm. right and so long answer to how many guests come out um you know, we have a lot. Now we've done more like we're four night, four day, and three night, three day. And but there's a real appetite in the marketplace for that either four or five night is kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. At Bristol Bay Lodge, that, that lodge we operate out of uh, west of Dillingham, that there, we when we bought it in 2013, it was seven nights, six days only. And uh, we added a component of a three night and a three and a half day, and that's been real successful. But mm. Bristol Bay Lodge will do about, you know, 330, 340 unique guests, where Sportsman's Lodge will do about five to 550 because of those, a lot of those shorter stays. Um, but yeah. What's the date range? June 7th. June, to- we, our first guest will come in on the evening of June 7th. You can start fishing on June 8th, so at midnight. You could start fishing if you want to. We go June 8th through at Sportsman's Lodge. Our last guest this year will be October 12th at Bristol Bay Lodge. We start on June 17th, and uh, our last guest will be September 18th. So 128 days, I think you said. Your well, team. that was yeah, that was, yeah. It's about 130 days. Of yeah. Nonstop, no days off. Everybody works. <coughs> you know, gotta be careful of the labor yeah. board here, but everybody's working yeah. 16 yeah. hours a day. You know, it's well, yeah. I, I was really impressed with that little video there. Uh, just your your rah rah speech, yeah. you, you know, like with your team and sound like coach, coach like. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I feel like there's um, like a morale. Oh, like yeah. I'm sure a lot of your job, besides the flying and the logistics and all the stuff, is morale. With oh, the team, yeah. right? Absolutely. I mean, because you are. I mean, we're asking the people that are coming out to work for us to give up their social life, basically. Yeah. It's not, they don't get to punch a clock and say, okay, come on, let's go take my date out to the movies or go yep. to the dinner or go hang out with my buddies and go watch a game. Uh, you're or off something. the grid. You, you, and, and you're always on, right? Oh, You've got yeah, guests right. that are there yeah, yeah. every single day and stuff. And that's another thing. You know, Sportsman's Lodge, our... our there's a couple of things that make us unique. The Quijac being one, you know, having great fisheries right there and not having to fly if we don't, if weather's not good or guest doesn't want to. So we've got a great fishery right there. The other thing is our, our seven night, seven day package is seven full days. We do 
charters in the afternoon. So like a four, if you did a four night trip, it's four full days. Or if you did seven nights, it's seven full days. Whereas most lodges are seven nights and six days because of their logistics. Right. Our proximity to Igiogig and a landing strip allow us to have guests coming and going at, you know, right at the, right at the, on the same, same time. Yeah. yeah. Same time. So anyways, um, but yeah, the morale is a major part of it. Um, I can usually tell without looking at a calendar when, you know, August 5th is because <laughs> yeah. I usually have to have a couple <laughs> meetings and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, all right guys, you know, we need to put the boxing gloves on or what do we need to yeah. do? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find a way to get through it. But, um, starts getting a little testy. Yeah. It just, you know, it can wears on you. It can locker wear. room, but boxing room. You know, the thing that's really, <laughs> really nice is that we've got distinct seasons, which really keep the morale mm. going. Oh, right. mm. And the guides and the pilots, I'm not going to say it's easy. It's a very difficult job. You're dealing with a lot of things that are out of your control. You're dealing with a client that has expectations that might not be realistic. You're dealing with fisheries that you can't control, weather, wind, watercolor. Mm. You know, I mean, there's so much out of your control as a guide. But the guides see different waters, and they are in the airplanes, or they're flying different spots, and they're stepping away from the lodge. The hospitality staff and the culinary staff are at the lodge. Yeah, 130 day in days, and, day out. Yeah. and they go from their cabin to the lodge. Cabin to the oh. lodge. Now we work real hard. We go, hey, chef, you got to, you know, let's get you over to Brooks, go see some bears or something, and you know, let's get you out and get the girls, you know, get them out and have them fish for a day or whatever, just to go give them yeah, a refresher. Change it up. Yeah, mm. but mm-hmm. even so, but yeah, the morale component is is major, and we work real hard to make sure that everybody stays fresh and uh, yeah. you know understands it. June 7th, the season opener, everybody's excited about that. And then, oh, you know, bet. some kings come in, we get get that, that's exciting. All of a sudden, here's the sockeye, so that's a push, we become a fillet machine factory. And then, all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's end of July, and you got some spectacular rainbow trout fishing on a lot of the tributaries that we fish up in Katmai. And then, from there, it comes into, well, silvers and... Yeah. big rainbows and so, so you've got some we've got some windows where okay we've met that milestone now oh now the soccer showing yeah, up oh now up. the yeah. silvers are showing up mm-hmm. oh now it's big rainbows oh now it's time to go home wow that was quick yeah well it sounds like there's options for people that are trying to come book some days at the lodge i mean depending on what you want to fish for absolutely absolutely yeah mm, seasonally you know we have whenever somebody inquires the first question i ask them is you know is there one have you been to alaska before and two do you is there something you want to catch? Is there a specific species that you want to target? And if they, um, you know, if they say no, then that's easy. You know, okay, we can plug and play you at any time. Um, are you a fly fisher or, you know, do you spay fish or are you, um, you know, conventional gear, a combination of both? And so a lot of that kind of dictates when we're going to try and plug them in. You know, if a client says, well, I want to be there in August, but I want to catch King Salmon, I got to educate them. So, okay, well, mm-hmm. yeah. our season is in June for Kings, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the yeah, Alaska's, yeah, Alaska's so big. A lot of people will sit there and say, oh, well, I thought that, you know, there was a second run of Kings. Well, you're talking about the Kenai, you know, so we have to, you know, there's mm. a lot of yeah. that back and forth. Education there. The, yep. Yep. Yeah. How many staff are, would you oh, say on average, or, sorry. That's okay. Go ahead, finish it. Oh, no, it was just the video. <laughs> we were watching all the people, like, the assembly line, like, you know, groceries and bags. Yeah. I was yeah. like, damn, mm-hmm. man, there's, like, a lot of people oh. that look like they're staffed up. I mean, you got a, yeah. a pretty good number. Yeah, well, we'll do, we like, 20 guests is, is our sweet spot. So, 
okay. you know, 20 guests. We'll have 11 guides on staff because we like to give a guide a day off. So we try to have Rotate 11, them out. Yep, 11 guides. We'll have uh, four pilots. We've got uh, four people in the kitchen, in the culinary, and we'll have five in the hospitality. And then we got Billy and JJ back here holding down the fort and being our logistics arm. Wow. Right on. What do you do? Just kind of roll around. <laughs> <laughs> give, give, uh, give. Tell stories. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a Billy or JJ. Hey, boss, what do you do? <laughs> give, uh, give coach, give coach speak. <laughs> you know, I get that question a lot. Like at the end of the season, I'll go to Wednesday night hockey. I'll come what in the locker room and like, oh, now you got the whole, now you're off the whole season. You got nothing to do, right? Yeah. All this stuff happens magically. Right? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> you're the behind the scenes guy. <laughs> Quite honestly, the, the winner, is more um, is more uh, not challenging, but it's it's busier for me mm. personally because I'm until recently I was a one man shop. I do all the bookings, I'm doing all the permits, all the you know I got to deal with reporting. At the end of the season, we report to Fish and Game, we've got uh, Park Service, Department of Natural Resources. You know, I got all these agencies that we have to fill out reports to and everything. I do all that, and I get all the marketing ready for next year. You know, I'm doing all the bookings and everything, and any kind of planning and stuff. So there's a lot of that that goes on. But I've I've one of the gals that was working in the hospitality department, she became our hospitality manager and was overseeing the inside of the house. You know, one time I said, you know, God, I could use an assistant here. And I said, you'd be great. And she was, Gladys is her name. And Gladys is like, no way. It's, you know, it's an awesome story. You know, she's from Guam. And she's like, no way, no way. I couldn't do that. And I said, oh, no, yeah, you can. And anyways, I talked her into it. So now she's running the inside and doing the bookings and stuff. So it's really taken a lot off of my plate. Mm. But I, I like to give support to... Our staff, I always say, tell me what you need to do your job. I don't want any excuses. I'll get you whatever you need. If you tell me you need pink woolly buggers, I'll get you pink woolly buggers. If you tell me you need only left-handed fly rods, I'll find the left-handed fly rods. Don't you, right? <laughs> I don't want any excuses. Chef, what do you need to make sure that it's highest quality and plenty of it? You know. And so I'm there for support. I'm, I'd like to be there for leadership. Um, you know, I, David has been a unbelievable mentor. David's, David's in his late seventies now, and uh, he's been very generous. Uh, he offered me an opportunity to buy him out over time, which allowed me to peel off some ownership and reward a young man. His name's Nick Nick Spear, and uh, Nick has been with us for ten years, and he's in his he's thirty one now, I guess, and he's. Uh, got unbelievable qualities, can fix anything. He, can, he flies one of the beavers. He's got the personality. He understands the resource. He gets, and he's a leader and the guys respect him. So Nick has become an owner. Mm. So I'm grooming him. The and, captain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of grooming him to, I feel very fortunate. David believed in me and gave me the opportunity and, you know, I can't do this forever. And, you know, I'm 56. And so I see an opportunity to now give Nick the same opportunity to grow yeah. with the company and, um, you know, it's great. Yeah. That's so, great. but what do I do? Uh, I, I enjoy it a lot. You do podcasts. I do like to fly. I like to, I like to fly a lot. So I like to, any excuse I have, Oh, you need me to go get a, you know, coffee mug. Okay. I'll go to anchors. <laughs> <laughs> Pink woolly bugger. I'll be right back. Yeah. Need a pack of paper towels from Costco. I'll yeah. be right back. <laughs> um, before we close it out, we've been going quite a while here. I, I know you probably get a lot of, um, like famous people up there. Maybe you can share a story on, um, Maybe someone you didn't know was as famous as they were. Um, a story of uh, uh, you know something spectacular, Un or something. unexpected guests, maybe. 
Um, yeah. You kind of mentioned uh, one before. Yeah, well, yeah, I can tell that tell uh, tell a story about uh, Otis Spunkmeyer. You know, that was a good one. <laughs> Um, we have had we had NHL guys up. You know, we got a little hockey connection going. We've had some mm-hmm. NBA guys. Who I'm I'm really sorry that you know I don't know them. <laughs> I don't know their names and stuff. Um, but it what's really um, inspiring is hearing some stories of people that have had success, but also have had failures and then created success from it. And um, so it, it just it, it's a great business to be in. Um, my wife is in a relocation business here, and so her phone rings. It's a problem, right? So oh. as an owner, you know, it's like her phone rings. She's dealing with, okay, what happened here? What was this claim? What was that? And it's and it's always stressful, right? My phone rings. It's people are happy, right? They're like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing something that I'm planning a trip that I've been planning on for a year, and this is awesome, and I, I can't wait. And so we're in the we're in the enjoyment business, right? Yeah. And so yeah. every I deal with customers that are happy, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. But um, that yeah, so we had a, a client that right in the beginning, um, you know, he was at the lodge and he'd been there for seven days. This was actually his last days. Walking past the kitchen, I told my chef, you know, we we're just starting out, and I said, you know, make it easy on yourself. Don't you don't have to make everything from scratch. So if you want to use some frozen products or whatever, just you know do the best you can. And she was great. You know, she was a self-taught chef and Alaskan gal. And anyway, so she, I said, you know, I really like these frozen cookies that they do. You, know, you can bake and pre-made and they're called Otis Spunkmeyer. And she said, oh, great. So she got them and she was cooking them all summer. And this client walks past the kitchen and looks in and he goes, oh, Otis Spunkmeyer cookies, huh? You like those? And I said, yeah, I love them. He goes, oh, thanks for the business. I was like, what? He goes, I go, you're Otis Spunk. I thought your name was BB. And he goes, well, yeah, I am, but that was my company. And I'm like, wow, well, tell me that story. Anyways, long story short, he was making chocolate chip cookies in, in San Francisco, and he needed a way to grow his business. Some guy said, I'll, I'll, I'll support you, I'll financially support you, but I need to, you need to change the name. And so... BB was at home and he was talking to his daughter and like she's 14 years old and she's not paying attention to him. He's like, God, I got to come up with a name. Can I get a name? You know, what do I got to name this company? It can't be San Francisco's best cookies. And she writes scribbles on a piece of paper, you know, BB goes to sleep and on the piece of paper, she comes, he comes down the next morning and says, dad, call it Otis Spunkmeyer world famous chocolate chip cookies. He's like, wow, puts that, reads it, puts the, paper in his pocket, goes, tells the financial guy and the financial guy goes, yeah, that's it. That's a great name. You know, go get Mr. Spunkmeyer to sign off on it. And BB goes home and, hey, I can't remember the daughter's name, but he goes, hey, sweetie, you know, introduce me to Mr. Spunkmeyer. And she's like, dad, there is no Mr. Spunkmeyer. I made the name up. He's like, what? Why would you do that? And she goes, dad, I guarantee you, you looked at that piece of paper, put that piece of paper in your right pocket and it hasn't left there all day. But you remember the name of the cookie company, right? And he's like, yep, I absolutely did. He takes the company public, you know, they, they end up, you know, forming a partnership, building, you know, cooking 350 tons of cookies a, a month type of deal and take the company public and, you know, the rest <coughs> is history. I mean, a great success story, but, you know, we hear a lot of that and, you know, but it's not, you don't have to be, you know, you know, super financial. I don't want to paint a picture that, you know, you know, it's yeah. exclusive type deal, but you know, it is expensive for us to operate. And, you know, I think we charge a fair price for it. We're not gouging the marketplace. We're covering expenses and we don't cut corners and people see that and recognize that. And I had one client one time I was talking to him at dinner and I just said, you know, I understand it's an expensive trip. And he says, no, Brian, it's not expensive. You're getting what you paid for. 
And as mm. long as I'm hearing that, then I know what we're we're doing it right. Yeah. So, well, and with return clients, which I'm sure you have lots of those, I'm sure you have your fair share of folks that this is a one shot deal. They save a lot of money. I, I think about like a family that say saves a bunch of money to go to Disney World. Mm-hmm. Not not to mm-hmm. not to compare your lodge Disney World. The point is is that it's a very big logistical challenge. It's expensive you're not going to do it all the time. So you save time, you set aside a vacation portion, you, all the plane tickets, the stuff to go have this maybe once in a lifetime experience, right? Yep. And I imagine that's what a lot of people are getting to come to your lodge. We we treat it like that. We treat, yeah, like you it know, could so, be their first, could be their last, you know? Yeah, one of right? the things that we are always saying is that we have to be on every single day. We can't afford to have a you know, we have to have be at our A game every day. Mm-hmm. We can't have a B or a C or a D game yep. day. And that's because for these people, I mean, some of these people are here for three days or four days with us. So those four days are crucially important. I mean, yep. so we have to at least be on our game. Now, we can't control the weather. We can't make every fish bite. But we can. what we can control better be done right. Better, mm-hmm. Equipment better be in great working order. We better be prepared. Uh, we better be safe. We better make the right decisions and things that we can control done right. So, yeah. I mean, Brian, we're going to have to have you back. I was just looking. I think we missed about 30 uh, topics. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, the we agenda was cover. so yeah. long. I was like, oh, wow. Really? Yeah, I mean, you have such it, a maybe. long history here with your hockey career and, and, and the Sportsman's Lodge and the other lodges and coaching. And, I mean, thank you for coming in and sharing all this stuff with us. And we'd yeah. love to have you come back in and, and, and talk some more of these stories and, and put JJ and, and Billy and some of these guys in their spot <laughs> with some of their stories. Um but thank you for that and, and what you're doing and, and your work with the um, Pebble Mine stuff. And, I mean, that's, yeah, that's that all important huge. things. And a lot of that stuff people don't really see, you know, yeah, well, on, on, the, on the background. Well, thank you. You know, I just I feel fortunate that I was in the right place at the right time. I was honored that mm. I was involved in this fight, you know. And um, things happen for reasons. And, like I said, I, you know, was still here. And I, 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 I really do. I feel honored that I was able to be leading this charge and it was really important to me i didn't know it at the time but now as i reflect back on it it was something that kind of defines me and it really was mm. important to me that was great really any well last said, questions man. guys no i'm good yeah yep. thanks for sharing your story brian it was awesome to to meet in person and uh yeah i'm excited to hear more stories yep. yeah it's so rad to hear like a name <clears throat> and stories you know, because I've heard a lot about you in the hockey community stuff, and um, and I know about your lodge um, time, but it, to see you in person and talk to you in person, hear your stories, uh, very genuine, very true, um, very honest and transparent, yeah. and and thank you for everything, man. Yeah, appreciate yeah, it. You really much. showed up tonight. Thank you oh, so yeah, much. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, you well, we'll have to, uh, you say you got 30 more questions, and maybe we'll have to do a road trip out to... Sportsman's Lodge and have the oh. next podcast. Don't tempt there. us with oh, a good yeah. time, bro. Yeah. Don't yeah. tempt us with a good time. <laughs> That's easy. We just got to put it on the schedule. Let's oh, do it, man. There. We would love to. We we actually have some touring stuff in the works that we're working on, and um, if you'd have us, we'd be honored. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. thank it's you easy. very much. Yeah. Yep. Thank yeah. you, Alaska. Thank you well for done. listening. Thank you, Brian, for coming out. Um, the Sportsman's Lodge, uh, Alaska Sportsman's Lodge on Instagram, alaskasportsmanlodge.com. Um, and uh, thank you for everyone for listening. And as always, Stay wild. You remember my speaking to you of what I call your overcautiousness. 
Are you not overcautious when you assume that you cannot do what the enemy is constantly doing? The Alaska Wild Project podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Barney's Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand-selected gear since 1963. The exclusive home of Frontier Gear, built for the rugged Alaskan terrain. Your one-stop shop for all your outdoor needs. Visit Barney's today at 906 West Northern Lights. Tailored Restoration 24-Hour Emergency Home Services, helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Hit them up at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products, providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. TheTreehouseAK.com, located at 341 Boniface Parkway, Alaska's own and grown cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bud tender what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off. The Treehouse, where the culture lives. AKO Farms, located in Sitka, Alaska, built from the ground up with concentrates as their single motivation, with exclusive products such as their sugar wax, full-spectrum diamond sauce cards, and more. Ask your local bud tender about AKO. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under the influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For the use of only by adults 21 and older. Keep out of the reach of children, and marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. The Bait Shack, located on Ship Creek upstream of the bridge. Can't miss the bright red shack. They're the go-to fishing gear rental and guide service on Ship Creek. Tight lines and fish on. Come hook into the action with them. Hit them up at thebaitshackak.com. Snow Pro AK, your snow and ice management company specializing in business and residential properties. They know what it takes to keep your property presentable and safe. Give them a call for a free estimate at 280-7098 or visit lawnproak.com. Double Shovel Cider Company, located off of Arctic and 58th, handcrafted Alaskan-made colonial ciders. They also have a tap room downtown on the corner of 5th and E. Stop by today and taste an award-winning cider. The Alaska chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. BHA is the voice of our Alaskan public lands, waters, and wildlife. Their goal is to uphold our hunting and fishing legacy while keeping our public lands wild. Stand up today and join BHA at backcountryhunters.org. Enemy, and it is unmanly to say they cannot do it.